Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lasses, and those that don't describe your gender, welcome to the Pot of the Dragon Podcast. I am your host, Lee. I am here. I am joined by Spencer. Spencer, how are you? Doing well, man. Man, what a podcast here. Spencer, well-known on the Mango Talks Podcast Network, lives in Florida, podcasting in a hurricane right now. Shout out to my guy, Spencer. Counting my blessings, I live on one side of the state as compared to the other. God help Fort Myers in Tampa right now. Yeah. Spencer, Spencer's on the, I guess not like right in the eye of the hurricane or whatever, but it's, it's not, I'm going to say. The messy side. I'm going to say that you're podcasting in a hurricane because it's technically true. As a lawyer, I have to endorse all attempts at technically true. So yes, your statement is perfectly correct. <laughs> so this is the Pot of the Dragon podcast where we review HBO's House of the Dragon episode by episode. We do two episodes of this podcast per one episode of the show. We did a review podcast about episode six. This is now our full review of episode six, episode titled The Princess and the Queen, which is short actually story. taken. Yeah, actually taken from a short story George R. R. Martin wrote, which I, th- I believe was maybe the second thing ever written by George R. R. Martin about the Dance of the Dragons, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Spencer, uh, you know, we had some kind of all over the place conflicting thoughts in the review podcast um, or the recap podcast. Where are you? Where have you settled with this episode this week? It, it really just depends how you want to view it. As an episode itself, I thought it was a very good episode. I thought it was well-paced. I thought it was well-written. I am very much enjoy the new actors that they've brought in. We got to see a lot of very memorable things, and we got to see some very clear forward momentum for where the back half of the season is going to go. All that is true. As an episode falling in the middle of a show, it is a weird-ass episode. The massive time jump... So many events that were being directly set up in the last episode that clearly just occurred off-camera in the last 10 years. This is an episode of where I have a certain measure of sympathy for those that have no prior foundation in the books, because I'm just wondering to what degree are they going to be able to keep up or what how they're going to feel about so many things that seemed like they were going to be, you know, immediate follow-up events after episode 5 that are now just kind of being shrugged at and saying, eh, you know, they happened seven years ago, so we're not really going to talk about them. And that's just, it's a very different kind of show. You don't see that much to have that kind of just big jump that doesn't have, you know, things leading into it or steps along the way. Yeah, I would say that this is the episode I've seen the most criticism about. And it was a lot of people saying things like this. Gosh, I loved the first five episodes and I was just like, I just didn't know what to do with this one. I, You know, they jumped forward and I was confused and I didn't know who this guy was with Renera and I didn't know she had children and I was just really lost and I was really just trying to catch up. It wasn't people saying I'm out on the show. It was people no. saying like, ugh. So it seems to me that the show, as good as it is, in my opinion, does it like, it's like, it's almost so good that it feels the need to handicap itself. It's like, well, we're like, we have this built-in incredible fan base and it's a really fascinating story that's going to catch people right away with dragons and beautiful set pieces and we have this wonderful director doing it. So, why don't we do like incest that makes people feel icky, names that people can't understand, and then massive time jumps that people have a tough time following up on. Man. And don't, for, don't forget lots of childbirth. Lots of childbirth. Childbirth lots every other childbirth. second episode. Lots of childbirth. So they handicapped themselves a little bit. But, you know, one of the things I had to do this week is try to, like, step away from, like, my – because we both love the show and the franchise so much. I think that one of – tell me if I'm wrong in speaking for you. One of the first things we do is, like, immediate concern they're going to lose the audience because I don't want that to happen. Sure. Um, But I tried to step away from that and say, well, what did I just think of the episode? And if I'm able to, like, drop – my concerns about the 10-year jump and then all the criticisms I hear from the casuals about trying to catch up, et cetera, et cetera. For this guy, for Lee, 
I really liked the episode a lot. I liked it a whole lot. And, and like what, probably like my second favorite episode of the season. I had to drop all that other stuff to get there, though. And I'm in a similar boat. It, I think it's definitely one of the best episodes yet of the season. It, it just has to be kind of viewed in the light of, this is the episode one that they always really wanted to make. And it feels yeah. like that. This yeah. very much feels like the first episode of season one of Game of Thrones. Well, the first episode of this show, in terms of in-media res, events are already events are already flying, we're dropping in on the characters. You'll catch up as we'll go. Some characters are going to die early. They're not that important for where things are going to go hereafter. And that's what it is. It's just happening midway through a show where the characters that aren't that important and are dying are characters we already know and have been set up for four episodes. So let me reassure people of this, is that episode six, we got, we're going to get episode seven, which will be sequential. It'll be right after the end of episode six. Everything's pretty much That'll sequential seven. here. Then you're, well, no, you're going to get one more time jump from seven to eight. Smaller one. Of about a year. And then no more time jumps. For, then it's a the, normal show with no time jumps. So if you don't like the time jumps, if it may, it's confusing you, hang tight. One thing they're not going to do, you're not going to get a different Rhaenyra or a different Alicent going forward. I think the only yeah. actresses that they're going to change Kids. are Damon and Lena's children. Yes. And also uh, Rhaenyra's children. I think they're going to get aged up. But the, the grown-ups are set, right? So, you know, if you felt uneasy about the 10-year time jump, um, you, you're going to get to greener pastures. You're going to get to a period where it's a little bit more of a conventional show. At, at this point, a year time jump for this show with the ones we've had in the past, audience is ready for that. Your time jump is nothing to these people at this point. Oh, easy peasy. With the same Rhaenyra and the same Allison? Oh, no problem. And, and tell me, sir, you, you, both of us liked the same, the, our old Rhaenyra and Allison quite a bit. How did you feel about him this episode? Before we even get to the recap, I want to know, our two major characters of this show, how did you feel about their adult forms? Uh, so here's the thing. I was pleasantly surprised by young Rhaenyra and young Allison. Indeed, they did I great. I didn't expect much, but I thought they did a phenomenal job. Wonderful. And we all fell in love with those actresses, right? Mm -hmm. But the Rhaenyra and Allison of this episode are the Rhaenyra and Alicent that I know from the books, that I expected. In the Very movie. much so, yes. <laughs> this is what I was expecting. Rhaenyra, being sort of introverted, doesn't tip her hand about how she's feeling about things, pushes on gender norms, feels an obligation to be, quote, manly as the queen in this society. All of that is being displayed. And then, of course, you know, obligatory, hate the Hightowers, fuck the Hightowers, <laughs> nobody likes the Hightowers. Alicent... <laughs> Is that is that thing that that thing that makes me fucking loathe the high towers? Like she is, she's done a. I mean that character. This episode it's so funny because they make they spend five episodes making you like Allison Hightower, and then yeah. in about twenty minutes, I think everybody was out on that but, character. So they did a good job of flipping it, and they did a good job of making it believable too. Of where she's clearly crystallized the lesson that she got from her dad in the last episode that we saw her when she was still a kid. Was right. that you are under threat, you are under siege, even the slightest misstep, and you will die. This is a war whether they've actually drawn swords yet or not. And that's what she's doing while still having the same nervous tension that's clearly breaking her apart inside all in the process. Yeah, for sure. All right, so that's kind of our general thoughts about the episode. Let's jump into the episode format. We'll do a recap, which I will lead. Spencer will chime in with witty anecdotes, sarcastic comments, and insights. And then we will jump to our segments, which... I am God Emperor, the first segment, best line of the episode, but Spencer will supply me with a lot of nominees. Then we will go to a little segment I call it Game of Thrones back. What? It's Game of Thrones back. And then we end 
we then we let go of all the sweet summer children, all the people who do not want to be spoiled. We say goodbye to them, and we enter a spoiler-only section where Spencer talks a little show-to-book changes. Spencer, are you ready to get to the recap? I am, sir. Okay, on the flashback, we get a lot about the king dying. Some discussion about Otto. See the Strongs. They want you to, to remind you of the Strongs. Absolutely. between Rhaenyra and Laenor, and also a focus on the color green. They, they hit that conversation between just... Can we call him Philadelphia, City of Brotherly Love, Larry's and Harwin Strong, just hanging out, being bros? It is really great to see such a close brotherly relationship on this show. We haven't seen that since Jamie and Tyrion. Absolutely. Yeah, I was was absolutely touched by the two of them. And I'm glad that they brought that moment back for us. But yeah, the focus on the green, and they really drive home the color thing this episode, which I'm glad they're doing. Then we get the intro, Spencer. They changed some of the things about the intro. I assume that now you love the intro and you're really happy. I will what? acknowledge, what? I, I will acknowledge that I, having gone back and having somebody else pointed out to me, there have been changes in the intro throughout with each kid being born, with each marriage alliance occurring, that is happening. I will give that points in its favor while still saying, eh, it's a five out of ten for me. Yeah, I can't tell until somebody tells me on Twitter, that's the problem. Yeah. So, here's the thing about this opening sequence, is that I believe that there's a parallel that Miguel Sapochnik, who's a showrunner of this, is doing with some of the battle sequences he did in The Long Night and Battle of the Bastards. Because it's a continual shot from one perspective. Sure. We got that multiple times from him during battle sequences. And obviously they're drawing the parallel that this is that, you know, Emma Aaron talked about, Emma Aaron Targaryen talked about the first episode, that this is the battlefield for the women of Westeros. And so we got that sort of one continual shot from Rhaenyra's perspective. We start with a really long black screen, which I was very concerned that my app had broke or something. Um, <laughs> Reasonable concern. Yeah, and then we get new Rhaenyra. This is, what, 10 years later, 15 years later, something ten, like that? Ten, 10 years, I think they said. 10 years. And uh, actor's name is Emma Darcy. Emma Darcy. Uh, non-binary, so it's uh, they, them pronouns. We are going to uh, try very hard to get this right. We're going to do our best. Uh, and if we mess up, we mean no disrespect. Uh, we're going to try. Um, the character, however, is a female, so we say she for Renera. She's pushing and fighting. It's one long, continuous shot, and the baby does come out. Um, I will say this. Renera able to get the baby out. It seems like nobody else in Westeros can get the baby out. So uh, apparently- I don't know what she's... What, She's eating her vegetables. I don't know. This is why Rhaenyra and Allison, there can't, there can only be one. These are the only two women we've seen so far in the show that have not had problems with childbirth, and that list is increasingly getting more problematic as time goes on. Yeah. Well, Rhaenyra has not had problems with childbirth in these three. Yes. Yes. Three. Forward. Yeah. Uh, and then she does smile, seems extremely happy to meet her newborn. It is a boy. It is the third boy. So here's the thing. Her mother, Emma Aaron. I think she had five children die. Miscarriages, yeah. Miscarriages are dying. Or death in the crib. die or yeah. in the cradle. Plus she had Rhaenyra. And then she had Balon that also died. That's seven attempts. Zero boys. Rhaenyra goes three for three. I'm just, see- just going to point it out. Her mom's got to be up in like heaven or whatever. Well, like this bitch. Come as, on. As is so appropriate right now, the seed is strong. So the baby's lily white. And I have got to ask this question of you, Spencer. Yes. Is there a chance that they made the Valerians black? Yeah, yes. Simply. 
for yes. this. <laughs> do, do, do I have the, the quote unquote reverse black baby? Yes. That is almost, if, if they didn't, if that wasn't the direct motivation for why, they've certainly been happy to, to, to insert it now because it works out perfectly for what they're doing with respect to this plot line. I'm very worried that the only reason House Valerian is black is so that they could have this tension on the color of her babies. And it, it, it does it, work. It's important. This is a carryover plotline from the books of, you know, the genealogy of the baby. Of where in the books, the Valerians are very much classic Targaryen features. Blonde, purple-eyed, light skin. And the baby wasn't having those features. They were instead having the black hair. Because that with black hair of House Strong, which everyone goes like, well, that hasn't happened before. What is the, what's going on here? Same plot line. It's just now they're throwing in the idea that the family's black. So it's even more apparent that there's an issue with genealogy here. Baby's lily white. And then we hear a door open. It's a servant. The queen has requested that the child be brought to her immediately. Why? I think everybody knows why. And Renera looks around the room and can tell that everybody there knows why. So Renera, because she's awesome and she's my queen, decides, you want to see the baby? You'll see me too. I'm going now. I've Not talked, a like, moment I've, of weakness. I don't. I don't have children. Uh, I've never been like closely involved with a, a, a woman who's having a child, and um, obviously I'm a man uh, biologically. So I will say this: uh, I had to ask around to some women who have had babies mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to just and? see if this was as crazy as I thought it was, and they all were like, "Yeah, that's like superhero stuff. That's like." Absolutely insane. That she would get right, like, literally, like, 30 seconds after the child comes out and walk upstairs. And I, I love that they even acknowledge it in story of where one of the, one of the uh, nursemaids that's, or um, midwives that's there with her tells her, you should stay in bed. You should remain a bed princess. And she and Rhaenyra says, yes, I should. Give me my dress. It's like, help me get dressed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Th- 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 this is not something I should be doing. But if the queen's going to make a thing of this, I'm going to put it right back in her face. She's literally getting dressed as they're tying off the umbilical cord of the child. And as, as the afterbirth is coming, they have to stop for a moment for the afterbirth. She's got her dress on, and then she, while standing up, gives birth to the afterbirth, and then keeps walking. Well, in comes my guy, Lainor. Was it terribly painful? Um, <laughs> yes, sir. No, yes, first it she's, was. Yeah, first she says, um, the queen wants to see him. And he goes, now? I'm coming with you. And she goes, I should hope so, which is pretty <laughs> hilarious. Um he asks if it's terribly painful. She just gives him a look. They walk into a room and there's a bunch of people and she's like, oh, fuck. Like, oh, God, I got to do this in front of a ton of people, which means she's got a, even more of a steely reserve, you know, poker face. Um, Lan, Lanor, in an attempt to sort of connect with her, says, well, I took a Lance through the shoulder once. And she goes, my deepest sympathies. <laughs> <laughs> it, there's a certain degree of tension in the relationship this episode, but it ultimately ends okay. And in the moments we see like this, they have a great relationship, or it's a unique one, but it's a mutually supportive one in a way that we haven't really seen yet on the show. I wasn't a big fan of all the bickering, especially from Renera to Lenore, because I did not get the impression in the book that she had that much hostility toward him. Um, they seem to be in a very close working partnership that, mm-hmm. that seemed to, to work for them. And I, they, they, they spend most of the episode bickering, or at least Renera bickers sort of at him. They do, though, as we discussed in the, uh, the prior episode, I think the, I think the episode is implying that that is a difference from the norm, that this is reflecting the tension Renera is under rather than necessarily their day to day relationship for the last 10 years. Um, Which I'm, a, I liked that explanation, and that's my headcanon now, but I just think that most people watching this are probably going to think that, like, they kind of don't get along when they, I think they do. Well, next episode will tell us a lot more. One thing, one that's thing true. to ask. 
Scale of 10, how much improved is this Lanor compared to the last guy? No offense meant to that actor, but how much better is this guy for the role? No, there's some offense in that because we're saying he didn't do a particularly good job. And like, sorry, like that's our job, right? We're giving opinions. Um, I don't obviously mean anything personally to the guy. It was just, uh, I would say it's a, it's a two to a nine. This guy is great. This guy is absolutely the Lanor I imagined, which is sort of like, if he needs to throw down, he'll throw down. But most of the time he's sort of this like fun, Outgoing, mm-hmm. like funny character. Yeah, stilted is not Lanor. Swagger is Lanor, and this guy yeah. brings that well. Yeah. Um, R- Renera then starts to hurt. She says, fuck. And then she just tells him to keep walking. Lanor has her arm. She gets congratulated by Lord Caswell. Remember that name, is- folks, later. <laughs> by Lord Caswell. Now, here's the thing you absolutely rightfully on this podcast have condemned Renera's ability to be civil to the lords under her. Previously. Exactly. This is new look mature at the, Look at the change right yes. away. She's if, if there's ever a moment where people would understand for her to be rude, it's now. And she still says, thank you, Lord Caswell. And he says, if there's anything I can do to help. And she goes, the day may yet come, which shows that she's being civil to him. Also kind of a hilarious thing in the plot. Um, it, 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 we had a few friends call us out between episodes about why have your opinions just changed so much on Rhaenyra and why are you going so negative on Allison? One of the biggest reasons for your Rhaenyra is that in this episode she has, quote, fixed or, well, matured out of the biggest problem we had with her character, her immaturity, her flippantness, her flightiness, her not pondering her position or the future. This is Rhaenyra who's had 10 years to mature and grow from that point, and God has she gone so far from when we last seen it. Sar. Don't you think a part of her, like if she's nothing but a willful, selfish person, she would have bit this guy's head off. But she's not anymore. She's strategic, and she's recognizing where she needs to make alliances. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of growth, I think, very clearly. She, she, she's probably at least a little bit self-motivated, but she's playing the game better. She's wearing the hats that she needs to with much better understanding. She's not even fucking rude to Allison in this scene, which she has all right to be. No. Uh, Lenor says they're turning back, and he, she says, not unless you wish to carry me down those fucking stairs. <laughs> This is the Renera I, I was hoping for. Lanor gives in and they keep walking. So this is still a continuous shot. We're still in mm-hmm. one shot. Lanor, this is absurd. Yeah, speaking for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep walking past guards, uh, Targaryen guards, it seems. They're in black and red. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I think it's easy to mistake the black and red for the Lannister guards. They look a lot like Lannister guards. Trust me, folks, these are Targaryen guards. Mm-hmm. Um, so then... Mm-hmm. Uh, the they come up on Sir Kristen Cole. <laughs> who, who, I, I told you how annoyed I would be. I told you how annoyed I would be that they would just do the time jump and not address the fact that they went to an 11 with respect to his plot line and the murder of Lenor's lover, lover the, the, the Night of Kisses. And they totally did. Off-camera resolution how this guy is still in the Kingsguard and now the personal sworn sword of the Queen. Well, I think the reason that he didn't get like somebody didn't grab him at the event is borne out very clearly in this episode when like the the commander of the city watch lays a hand on a Kingsguard member and it's such a high crime that he is kicked out of the city watch. That's how high above the city watch the Kingsguard is. So 
it, it informed to me that like the Kingsguard are the elite of the elite militarily and nobody else in that place other than other Kingsguard. Now you'd have been right about that. If we'd have seen other Kingsguard gear, that would have been a problem. None of the other military personnel that were there would have had the authority on their own to just grab him. So it did make sense to me that he got out of there, but I completely agree with you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I caveated with all that because I think yeah. that part gets explained. But I really wish that we would have had the conversation. It would have been very fast. Give, give me the between sentence. Alicent and Viserys, mm-hmm. where where Viserys says something like, "Oh, are, is that is Cole still with you? All right, gosh, that 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 night that you went to the mat for or something, you know, like some reference to the fact that they really so came. Why to do you keep him place. around with what the crimes he's committed? Like, just yeah, give me like give me the sentence. As I always say, all I need is a sentence, and I'll be with you. But I do think that they showed like a side of Allison where now it's not too surprising that she could get something like that done. <laughs> Given that she's associated with Christian Cole and now also, you know, clubfoot by the time this episode is done, Woo! this is in keeping with the people she likes to keep around her, apparently. Yeah, there's, there's the greens. Uh, he just says to, Kristen Cole just says to Renera, princess, and lets her in. She walks in the room. The queen who's being fussed over by some handmaidens looks shocked. Renera, you should be resting after your labors. Renera just says, I have no doubt you would prefer that, Your Grace. So again, <laughs> it's a little it's a little sarcastic, but she's holding her tongue. Well, she, she's doing the kind of sarcastic, though, that is polite. It's only sarcastic if you wish to interpret it that way. It's the much right. safer, strategic kind of sarcasm. 100%. Uh, she says they're going to get a cushion for her. Renera tries to say no, but, but they do. And uh, she sits down. In comes the king. King not dead. Ten years. Now, this is why. <laughs> this is... This is why I thought it was so important that they told us and like I you keep like kind of glossing over it. Everybody in this one t- single thing forget Spencer. I'm telling you. He he has got leprosy. It's very imp- I think it's very important as a watcher to interpret what he has as that disease because if you do the fact that he could he could live for another 10 years is not surprising. It takes a long time to die from leprosy. And by the way, missing an arm. So He's 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 being whittled away, but I, I I just like the idea that we know what the disease is. We know the disease is slow acting, so it's not surprising he still survived after ten years. Yes, a slow wasting disease of clearly undetermined origins. I agree. Oh, goodness gracious! <laughs> <laughs> the king, very thinning hair, pop marks all over his face. Um, like I said, missing part of his left arm. He takes the boy in his right arm. A fine prince, sturdy. You will be a fearsome knight. Yes, you will. The queen asks the name. Renera starts to say they haven't thought about it yet. And Lainor Joffrey. says, Joffrey. Um, bad move, good move on Lainor's part here. Uh, understandable move. Uh, Renera rightly calls him out a bit later in the episode that, you know, not been nice if you discussed that with me. The queen comments that that's an unusual name for a Targaryen. Subtle challenge to the fact that if he is a Targaryen or not, she's like, oh, he's always poking at that. Always. Well, I mean, the Queen's doing a few subtle moves before at the end of this conversation. She just straight throws it in their faces. But you know, also that she's carefully kind of almost like framing the, be- the baby's head and hair for the king to look at. It's like, huh, does that look like platinum blonde stubble? Don't think so. Just there are a lot of little maneuvers where she clearly is trying to get the king to look and see that this is, you know. There are signs here that this may not be the baby that they're representing it to be. Yeah, he just keeps, she just keeps, look, she's looking right in the baby's face. I mean, really mean mugging the baby mm-hmm. all over. Um, Viserys, uh, I do believe he has his father's nose, don't you? 
And that is really hilarious to me because he laughs. The queen gets quiet, looks awkward. Rhaenyra gets quiet, looks awkward. Joffrey looks quiet, gets awkward. It's like this train. Oh, yeah, yeah, later. I'm sorry. The whole, it's like this train of people around the room that are like, oh, 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 right. oh. And then finally, Lenor's Le- like, uh, you know, uh, Your Grace, uh, Renera has just exerted herself heroically. We, she really needs to rest. Basically, mm-hmm. give me the baby back. We got it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Allison and, um, Lenor walk off and Viserys comes up to Renera. Wonderful moment between these two. One of our few, like, you know, heartfelt father-daughter moments we've ever seen them have. Well done, my girl. I do hope the later was easy. <laughs> here's here's my queen. I think I called the midwife a cunt. <laughs> I, 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 oh. love, I love it. I love the response is, oh, I'll give me a, oh. let, let me give you a hug with my one arm. And they smile. And she kisses him on the cheek. Very warm relationship between the two. It's um, nice to see that now that she has established herself and she's having her own children and she's grown up as an adult, he's he almost seems more comfortable with respect to her in a more of a grandfatherly role than the immediate controlling, directing king role with respect to her. I agree. Viserys was always meant to be a grandfather. Always. Yes. He was perfect grandfather material. Off in a corner, Allison drops this line, potential line of the episode. Oh. Do keep do keep trying, Sir Lenor. Sooner or late, you may get one who looks like you. Who says that to another person? Allison Hightower. Hey, Hightower, fuck Hightower. I will say this in the book. This is actually as mean as this is. It's actually nicer than how it goes down in the book. Of course, in the book, she says this in front of court. She says this in front of everybody. Like it's not just off with Lenor in the corner. Like everyone knows that this is said. It's not a private moment. She's more subtle about this, which also factors into what you pointed out previously, that Viserys is more subtle about his reaction to people talking about this. That if Allison had said this in open court, we probably would have gotten Viserys acting more like he is in the books, where he's threatening to, you know, remove tongues, eyes, and all kinds of other things, and people keep repeating this shit. She hands the baby off. Uh, Renera and Lenor walk out. Renera, this is when she gets on him a little bit. You don't think to consult me before you name my child? Lenor challenges says, my child too. And I deserve some say in the affairs of our family. Uh, Renera fires back. You haven't seemed so interested in our affairs as of late. So that, that's mm. the, see, that's the part of me that makes me feel like, I, I like your explanation that, that, that this, this, this is a low moment. This frustration between Renera and Lenor is a sort of like one-off type thing based on the stress of the childbirth and the stress of people questioning the parentage. But she's kind of saying like, that this has been built up in her, which makes me think that maybe it's not just a one-day thing. Maybe they do have more serious problems. I mean, any relationship, even good relationships, can have built-up resentments where you don't talk about them. And it clearly seems like there's been a certain measure of... (laughs) Yes, this is true. It clearly seems like there's been a certain measure of distance growing between them over the years from a variety of factors. And it seems like this episode is a lot of sniping ending with an apology and a chance at reconciliation that I, I think is a positive direction to go in. Uncle Lee out there to the kids do not have a resentment that lingers that you don't talk about for years with your significant other. You should. I'm saying it's all too common. I'm just saying, Uncle Lee, I'm just talking to the kids. Just the kids, Spencer. To the kids. <laughs> talk about your resentment. Give it life. When you when the light shines on it, it doesn't grow. It, Sunlight it gets, it gets is smaller. the best disinfectant. This it is gets true. Smaller. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will point out this. Uh, Rhaenyra was bleeding as she was walking away uh, with Lenore in this scene, which is like, 
Yeah, but she even tells him, like, you know, I, he's our child too, isn't it? And she responds, only one of us is bleeding. It's like, hmm. okay, in the moment, perfectly true. Can't argue with that one. She goes back to her chambers and sure, Sir Harwin Strong is there and he shoots her quite a fucking look, doesn't he? Woo! Yeah, he shoots her a few looks over the course of this scene and others. He challenges Tormund, like, with how he can look at her. Like, you remember when Tormund would look at Brienne and we were all like, oh my god, I need a cigarette after that look? Like, Harwin Strong is given those types of looks in this episode. It, he it, loves Rhaenyra, folks. He lo- he would run through a fucking wall. Maybe, maybe not open a door. He has trouble opening doors. But he will run through a fucking wall for her. Very true. It's interesting to unpack how she feels about him. She clearly seems like she feels something for him, but she this is a mirror that is so much more composed and controlled, it's harder to read. Oh, he she likes him. There's there's a, there's a couple tells. Um, so in the room are her two other children, mm-hmm. uh, Jacaris and Luceris. Mm-hmm. So folks who are catching up, Renera has two other children, ostensibly by Lenor. We know really that Harwin Strong is a biological father. And they are named Jacaris Targaryen and Lucerius Targaryen. Jacaris yeah. is the oldest, and he is the heir behind her, so he's third in line to the throne. Yeah, the show has purposely adjusted it so at this point both Rhaenyra and Allison each have three children. Whereas at this point, I think Allison had four, but I'm guessing they cut the youngest one really, which is just simplifying things. So three and three each. Wait a second, what? What'd you say? Uh, the, Allison to this stage had a, had a younger child named Darian. Uh, that was probably about eight or nine at this point, who seems is the younger brother to Helena and Eamon. And it seems like he's been cut because we did that. We saw no signs of him yet on this show. So I think he's probably been cut or removed or they're just, they're just going to have him show up again later after the next time jump. Hmm. All right. Well, that, that part confuses me, but I, I, we'll, we'll work it out in the uh, post. We'll, we'll, dis- we'll discuss in the post stuff. Uh, they show her a dragon egg that they've picked out for Joffrey, their brother. Question for you, Spencer. Do you think this is yet another Dreamfire egg? Do you think this is yet another fucking... Dreamfire is just laying all the fucking eggs, apparently. Dreamfire apparently is the most prolific of all the dragons, because Dreamfire eggs just keep showing up all over the place, including 170 years in the future, too. So we're going to meet Dreamfire later, and i got a whole jag about how Dreamfire looks and the whole thing. Mm. All right. Harwood explains he took the boys down to get the egg himself. Kind of strange. He would, this Lord Commander of the City Watch would take the uh, the princes down there by himself, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting enough that the Lord Commander has this kind of like close relationship with the inner royal family. That's you know, it's good to see the Chief of Police and technically, yes, also Lord Commander of the National Guard uh, have that kind of close, intimate relationship in government. I think that'll be useful going forward. Lenor is looking at and holding the the young boy, uh, Joffrey, and Harwin asks if he could hold him, and Rhaenyra tells Lenor to let Harwin hold him. And yeah. what's very interesting to me is that could have been a moment of tension. But my guy, Lenor, just goes, oh, yeah, 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 of course. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, here you go. Like, yeah. so totally cool. Lenor's my dude. I like Lenor. Again, further evidence supporting my theory. The two have a functional relationship. They've just got a few problems that have been building for a while that they need to talk about. And they ultimately do. That they need to talk about. There you go. Yeah. Harwin, Joffrey, is it, as he holds the child, boy, does he look happy. I mean, he, proud Papa vibes, looking at Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra even smiles at him. And I'm telling you, man, Rhaenyra gives enough signs here to show. Is Harwin Strong her fucking uh, soulmate? No, that no, motherfucker's but, in Pentos. But, but she likes him. She really does like him a lot. Um, she carries yeah. and... Uh, Lucerius and Jacarius want to hold the baby, but Lainor says, no, 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 we're off. We're off to the dragon pit for training. 
and leaving just Harwood and Rhaenyra together. He jokes that the child has fallen asleep in front of the Lord Commander of the City Watch. Terrible lack of respect. Terrible, terrible. But it's both for training and also he very intentionally wants the two of them to have a moment yes. alone, which is also very sweet. It, 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 they have an interesting relationship, but it appears that they fully understand each other. I'm going to tell you, Rhaenyra and... I, there's not going to be many conversations in this show where Rhaenyra is one-on-one with somebody arguing and I take somebody else's side, but I, I'm... I'm Team Lenor this episode. Um, Renera gives a great line, potential line of the episode. A certain soul, a, in, a certain insolence runs in the family. I'm afraid. So she's joking back and forth with him. Yeah. Um, and cut to the dragon pit, and a dragon is being led up. Looks like a. Ch- this is a child dragon. So this is. I would not call this a teenage dragon. I would call this a dragon that, if you want to compare it to human years, is about six years old. This is a juvenile, definitely. This is clearly too small to fly, but they're starting to already... Yeah, but but this this is a dragon that probably could fly on its own. It's nowhere near big enough to be a dragon rider yet, or to have a dragon rider yet. But they're establishing that kind of close relationship. So within a few years, because the initial few years, dragons grow real damn quick, it's going to be ready to take flight with its new, with its new uh, master. Yeah, so this is... Um, it's actually, we probably know the age, because it's Vermax... And Vermax was the egg that went in Jacaris' cradle and hatched in Jacaris' cradle. And whatever age Jacaris is, which I believe Jacaris is eight in this. Somewhere around there, yeah. should be eight. That makes sense. Yeah, the the dragon should be right around eight. So that's the thing I was going to say. Vermax is Jacaris' dragon. and, And the cool part is that at this point, they have so many eggs that when a Targaryen child is born, they put an egg in the cradle to see if it will hatch. They don't always hatch. That gets talked about later in the episode. But Coin this flip. one did. And so they are ostensibly bonded. But what confuses me is that I was always told in the text and in the show that you put the cradle in, you put the egg in the cradle because when it hatches, they bond. Eight years later, they don't seem bonded. Like they're still having to work to get this dragon bonded to this kid. Is the, is the thing, is the, the egg in the cradle just symbolic. It seems to not really do anything to bond them it, together. It doesn't. Even in text, it's debated whether it does anything. It just kind of became a tradition of when I think they put Silverwing in Allison's crib and it worked. Yes. And it was like, okay, let's keep trying this. I don't think they have any understanding exactly how this works other than just time and effort. But it it, it seems like it could be a useful starting point. But here's the problem. Thing is strategically here, Spencer. If you get the egg in your cradle and the dragon hatches, then, then, yeah, good Queen Alice, then you're expected to bond with that dragon who, by the way, is small. Yeah. If it, if it doesn't hatch, then you're free to just go find one that's big as fuck. So I'm just saying, it, it might be smart to like not want it to hatch so that you can go find a big one. Yeah, but the whole going to find a dragon that's big as fuck. A certain number of people, Targaryens included, have died in that process. I don't it's know any Targaryen that's died in that process. Uh, about Targaryen bastards, can you give me that one? We got a few yes. on that list. Yeah, well, yeah. So, but I don't know any Targaryen that's tried to. That's a, that's an important point because I, I, later on we we'll talk about it. When we get there, but uh, I, I, uh, Dreamfire I, could have torched Aemon and did not. I'm think I'm thinking of a certain Targaryen we can talk about later that is tossed from dragon back of a dragon that he's not attached to. So such thing there have been rejections even of not necessarily torchings. Right, but there's a but when when Targaryens attempt to bond with a dragon, there is a lot of evidence that the dragon 
will reject the Targaryen and not kill them. But when a non-Targaryen trusts to bond with a dragon, there is a ton of evidence that it will just fucking kill them. (laughs) So it's a little bit of a difference. Matters of degree. Matters of degree. Yeah, yeah. But I I loved this scene because this whole idea that that they're training, I loved the little um, detail that the dragon master had a burnt face that he was dealing, you know, obviously it's pretty, I hope he's got workers comp because it's a pretty difficult job. He got burned at some point. Uh, He only speaks Valerian. I love that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of little details in this scene that I really like. Uh, what I don't like is them just bringing in a poor goat who has to eat it. That I don't like that at all. The poor, well, poor it, goat felt for the goat. It, it, it seemed like, uh, uh, how do you pronounce the prince's name? I, I always pronounce it wrong. Jacarys? Jacarys. Seems like Jacarys, on the other hand, was really down with that goat getting burned. That kid was yeah, smiling could, up a storm when he was going to say. So the, the command, Jacarys, uh command, is not really from the book they, they've kind of taken that in the show and run with it that all the targaryens have u- to use that word mm-hmm. and i gotta say that's one of the changes they've done in the show that i like better that there's it's, a universal command for fire i like that i mean it, it, it we know it means fire and it makes a certain degree of sense that they might just have an easy short word for everybody in the books they can use whatever commands and words they want this makes it it's a delightfully simple shorthand for the audience if nothing else the dragon master explains during this that once he's able to bond with Vermax, which hasn't happened yet after all these years, which is kind sure. of crazy. But once he actually bonds, then Vermax won't actually take commands from anyone else. But because Vermax isn't completely bonded with Jacarys yet, Vermax is still sort of shepherded and dealt with via the Dragon Masters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, but, uh, so that's kind of the recap of the scene. I have a question for you. Sure. We have been dying to see the inside of the Dragon Pit. We saw it whelming, <laughs> underwhelming. What did you think? Ah, just whelmed. I mean, I, I, there wasn't it wasn't really much to say about it. We didn't get to explore the part I actually want to see, which is where the dragons nest. They tinted at it. God, I was excited for a second when little Eamon was going in there to you know, go on a journey and fi- get, get into the interior of the dragon pit. But we didn't. We got scared off by a dragon, you know, very terrifyingly breathing fire into the ceiling. So I, I can't give it a score yet. Until we actually can get into, you know, the where the dragons actually are, I'm not ready to judge the dragon pit, yes or nay. I'm with you. I was whelmed. Uh, so he's at finally, finally Jacarys is able to say Dracarys, Vermax, Vermax torches the poor goat, then starts eating it. Now, this is a point you've made on the podcast many times. Dragon likes to burn, then eat. It barbecues, mm-hmm. then it eats. It doesn't eat raw meat. That's important to know. Important distinction. All during this, Eamon seems pretty upset. Why? Because he doesn't have a dragon. And also he, um, he is the son of Alicent. Hightower and therefore is incapable of being selfish, selfless, and so he's selfish the entire time. He's just thinking about himself constantly. It's also all the worse for him that his bro- that his older brother, Ooh. Aegon, is already a dragon rider. He already has sunfire. He's already you yeah. know going through the heavens, and you know from what we see of this Roman Roy motherfucker over the course of this episode, he is making his brother's life hell, as we see in this scene. What would happen if Robin was the older brother? That's what we're getting in this series. Straight up, yes. Aegon, Aegon tells him he feels really badly for Aemon, because you're the only one without a dragon, so they found one for him. The gods provide, and they brought out a pig. with The pink dread! Inside. The pink dread. Um, and they all laugh. And uh, they leave. Quick question debated for later. This was totally Aegon that did this, right? Rhaenyra's children yes. were just along for the ride? Cause... 100%. Howison tries to blame Rhaenyra's children, and Aegon halfway does too, but this was totally Aegon. I presume. We're on the same page there, right? 
Yeah, and Allison knows it too because she goes right to his room and says, "You you did that, didn't you? You let you yes. you cooked that up, didn't you?" Yeah, it was totally him. He was the one that even gets it started. Conversation started. He's the one leading the whole affair. He points for the for the pig. Aegon is the is the jackass in this situation. Just get used to that. I, I, that's <laughs> um, going to be true a lot. They leave Aemon in there. Aemon, I'm going to say he's irritated and spunky. Uh, walks down the stairs to where the dragons are all kept, and he finally walks up and sees a dragon who is in a room, and the dragon looks at him, pissed, and spits Ooh, fire, no. How but are not you? at him. No, it is it's warning a, fire. That dragon intimidation easily. Display easily burned Amon. Yeah. But I I believe that the um, the blood mages in Valyria, when they bonded the dragons to the Pacific families, did so through blood. And I believe that the dragons can smell Targaryens. That's why Danny's dragons smelt one of the first things they did is smell Jon Snow. And I think that this is Dreamfire. Uh, Dreamfire smelled Amon and knew it was a Targaryen, but said I don't want to fuck with you right now. It's like, kind of like my cat scratching me. Like, I don't want to fuck with you right now. So shot the fire up at the ceiling to get him to go away. That's what I saw. I was, I was going to ask you who your thoughts were. Because in my mind, this was either Dreamfire or it was Vermithor. And Dreamfire, I think, makes more sense given how it looked and its size. So I think it's Dreamfire because of how it looked. If you notice, this particular dragon that is spitting fire at Amon looks, looks startlingly, Danny. startlingly like J- Danny's dragons. Yes, and Danny's dragons all look alike, and they all look like Dreamfire, and I love that consistency because they are, sorry, they're the eggs of Dreamfire. Uh, come again, you know. Obviously, they turned to stone, and then there was a magical event that had them born. But the fact they all look alike makes sense because they were all from the same clutch of dragons from this dragon that does look like them. So I don't know. It made me happy the consistency. You know what? They fuck up with the consistency so often that when they get it right, I just want to spend a little time on it, Spencer. <laughs> This show, you're going to say that lie about. It. Come on, and, they, they, it's not perfect. It's not perfect, but they do damn well a lot of the time. Vermithor, I thought was at least possible, just given the intimidation display, and we know he's in there, and he also is kind of a bronzy color. But he's described as being damn near as big as Vagar, and this one does not look that. So seems more dreamfire. I thought Vermithor would be bigger too. Yeah. Um, oh, quick aside, uh, show creator uh, got the question, answered the question. You, do you want to know? Do you do you want to know the most important question for you of the entire series? I'll tell you now. Please, we do see Cannibal at some point. Oh, don't do this to me, man. Don't. Is this going to be another scenario of we're totally getting mushroom next episode? No. Is this what you're no. going to do to me right now? They, they, with the amount they have to spend on the dragons, I don't think it will be like a mushroom thing. But uh, no, they, he said he said at some point uh, you, you were, you're going to get Cannibal. So uh, I, I can't even participate in the recap anymore. I'm so happy. So cut to Helena with Queen Allison. And she's got her bug collection. <laughs> so I I adore this scene uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, one is she's telling her mother about her bug collection. And she's, uh, she's explaining that caterpillars have 240 legs. And Allison looks so bored. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's disrespectful how bored she looks to her she, child. She can't even hide her boredom from her daughter. Just, uh, Allison, what's she doing, dear? Now... There's a little thing about this scene, Spencer. Uh, yes. We got to talk yeah. about. Yeah, tell me, tell me. Mm-hmm. I think bit they've a, made a change here. Bit of a change in the in the Helena character, wouldn't you say? Not not that Helena was the most characterized character in the books before certain events happen in the future, but no one talked about these couple aspects of the character in the books. So, let's go all the way back to it was like Aenys Targaryen's 
daughter who uh, had yeah, the dream. Yep. Uh, I wrote down the name. One second. I'll pull that up. Annie Targaryen's daughter, who had the dream about the doom of Valeria, told her father. The father moved the entire family over to Dragonstone well in advance of the doom. The doom occurred. All the dragons died. All the dragon lords died. The Targaryens were the only ones left on Essos and Westeros that still had dragons. Uh, Danies. Uh, it's a factor there. Danies the Dreamer. And we, Danies we've seen, the Dreamer. And we, we've seen a few in the other books before. I mean, one of my favorite characters from Duncan Egg is Darian the Drunkard. And he had, he had prophetic visions. Or even kind of sort of the antagonist, Damon the Second Blackfire, in the last in the last Duncan Egg book, clearly had dreams and prophecies. This is a thing that, Tar- that Targaryens can have. And we had Viserys himself talking about how much he always wanted to be a dreamer with prophecy and whatever else. And we get a few lines here that we're going to talk about in the post-episode. They really heavily imply this kid's got a bit of prophecy in her. Yeah, so it's kind of known in the Targaryen family that they occasionally, exactly like Spencer said, I'm glad he looked up the names, um, that some some Targaryens are born as dreamers. And dreamers that basically means that they are able to predict the future. Prophecy. And Viserys really wants to be one, but I don't think he is. No. And so in comes a member of the King's Guard. And with Eamon, Helena just goes, he did it again. So she already knew mm-hmm. what he did. And he's explaining, this is Eamon explaining to his mother, they gave me a pig and they were really mean to me and it was, it's their fault. And Allison's getting the whole story, trying to catch up. And Helena says during this, the last ring has no legs at all. Make a note of that one for later. <laughs> the last ring has no legs at all. Mm-hmm. Queen Allison to Amon, you will have a dragon one day. Helena in the background to herself, he'll have to close an eye. Keep track of that one for later. <laughs> Back to Allison. And Amon says they all laughed, and Allison gave him a hug to try to comfort him. Why don't we have? We can talk about the last ring has no re- no legs at all. Not with not with what I think that's referencing. I think it's referencing Bran. That is one possibility. That is not the one I was interpreting it as, though. I was interpreting it as the la- the that, last king. The last king has no legs at all. Um, that could work. That's what that's what uh, I took. But anyway, I, we'll talk I, about your spoiler one later. Sure. Uh, I think we all we think we know what he means. But you'll have to close an eye, but that's we'll have to talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Helena, the dreamer. Helena, the dreamer. Let's call her that. Let's put it on a t-shirt. Helena, the dreamer. Hel- Helena also. Can we say it? They seem to be giving her stage notes to appear certain on certain some certain position on the autism spectrum. Yes, hundred percent. She very much is. Uh, but you know the cool part is that I imagine she'll get a, a like a really caring, sympathetic, understanding husband who will help her with that. So cut to Allison, filling in Viserys. He points, uh, he thought they happened upon some, so this is a hilarious point about Viserys. He goes, he's getting the rundown of this pink dread situation. And this is what he says to Allison. He thought they happened upon some wild, untamed dragon and took him to the dragon pit. (laughs) Viserys can't contain himself. He does not, he's not a huge, I mean, he loves them, but he definitely sees the the faults in his children in a way that Allison does not. I don't think you've, Allison seems to be the primary parent. He's maintaining a more distant relationship. I don't think he fully approves of her job of parenting. No. How could you? Allison is blaming the grandchildren, although we know Aegon was just as much, if not more, a part of it. The king says they are more children than he is. Allison, they're savages, and it's not surprising. The Westerosi bias against bastards is real, ladies and gentlemen. The mm. king asks pointedly. This is funny, because he just jumps in pointedly and says, Did Aegon put him up to it? Why? Why did he ask this, Spencer? Because he fucking knows Aegon. That's why. 
Yes, he, he's trying to very carefully suggest this was 100% completely Aegon. Maybe at the last minute he told them that he was going to do it. Alicent gets quiet. She says, it's a wonder to me their eggs ever hatched. <laughs> so what she's saying is it's a wonder to me that Jacarys and Lucerys, who had dragon eggs in their crib, that the dragon eggs hatched because she thinks they have at most 50% uh, Valerian blood. Spoilers, says, so did a lot of Targaryen. Well, no, they had, still had Valerian blood. Never mind. There have been Targaryens, though, uh, with mixed blood. Rhaenyra, for example. Yeah, yeah. She, But she she had more than 50% because Emma Aaron was already a Targaryen cousin. So, uh, sure. yeah, but, yeah. Um, the king, playing dumb, says, uh, why? And she says, you know why. He says, I'm afraid I don't. And she goes, don't, Viserys, don't. Viserys then gamely dismisses the stonemason who's helping him on his Valerian model. Like, hey, no, hey buddy. We're going to have a talk right now. Like, Let's get clear the room. She's in a mood. Yeah. Um, and when he's gone, the queen says she held her tongue, but to have one child like that is a mistake. To have three uh, is an insult. To the throne, to you, to House Valerian, and the match you battled so hard to make for her. Can, can I just point out one of the just weirdest of little in-jokes with respect to the name of the stonemason? Yeah. It's Eddard, and previously, <laughs> when Arya was in Harrenhal and was talking with Tywin, she said her dad was a stonemason. It is the weirdest of little in-jokes, but I, I thought that was funny. Ryan Condo gets a clap for that one. Uh, um, yeah, so that, that, that is diligence to your stuff right there. So yeah, she's basically saying, this is an insult to the throne, to the gods, to House Valyria, to the sea, to the water, to the earth, to the sky, to Terry, to Lee. To Spencer, to everybody you've ever known, to computers, to Microsoft, to Apple. I mean, my God, this lady thinks that the, having a bastard, quote, bastard child is the worst offense. I mean, she's literally naming everything she can think of here. And ladies and gentlemen, let's just break down Allison's complaint. Uh-huh. Allison's uh-huh. Please, complaint please, yes. is, Allison's complaint is that the child, the children, mm-hmm. two children, now three, yes. yeah. uh-huh. were fathered by Harwin Strong, yeah. not Lenor. But here's the situation, yeah. Allison. Mm-hmm. Lock in with me, Hightower. Yep. Lenor claims the children. Yep. There is no paternity test in fucking mm-hmm. Westeros. Nope. He claims the children. He's the if only one who this. If he didn't claim the children, then you could call them a bastard. But if he's claiming the children, you can't call them a bastard. Oh, by the way, let's spin it out and say that we've proven that they're somehow bastards. They're clearly Guess legitimized. Guess who you're married to? The fucking king who can legitimize yeah. them in a snap of his fingers. So this whole argument has absolutely no legal basis at all. It's just an emotional argument from her. And, and, and counsel, you being an expert on the laws of Westeros, I got to ask you, in terms right. of relative sins, like relative levels of offense under Westerosi standards, where does, uh, say, kinslang or violation of guest right fall compared to, you know, having a bastard or, you know, raising a bastard? It, well, it depends on which kingdom you're in. If you're in the north, Kinslain would be number two. The guest right would be one. Mm-hmm. I would say it, it's a little bit closer. A Kinslayer might be number one or two as you move south. But either way, they're the number one and number two offenses in Westeros. And whereas having a bastard, does it even factor into the top ten? I mean, it, it can be an issue, yeah, but not even on the same page as those two, right? People believed that Eddard Stark had a bastard, and they still believed he was the best human being that had ever been born. Yeah. So remind me, uh, Allison's two closest buddies over the course of this episode, what crimes do they commit by the time this episode is over or in past? Oh, um, let me see if I got this one, Counselor. Uh, yeah, Ken Slane and Guestrate. Oh, look at that! 
hypocrite she, much. She's the fucking worst. She's a terrible hypocrite. But like, you know, you, what you kind of want to do as Viserys is if I was Viserys, I would look at her and I would say, here's the thing. I don't think they're bastards. But, but I'm just, I'm, they're legitimized. Prip to pardon, desk They're pardon, legitimized. <laughs> Preemptively legitimized, alright? So shut up about it. Like, they're, yeah. they're, 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 it's over. Like, yeah. they are not bastards. You can't the, call them the, that anymore. They are now heirs and can inherit. Conversation's done. Good lord in heaven. The king then tells a story. <laughs> He's getting He's daughter. trying. He's trying. He says, you know, I used to know a black mare, uh, and it got loose and got a baby on it from a silver stallion. Silver is the moon on a winter's night, and the foal? Brown. Just the most unremarkable brown horse you ever saw. You know, nature has mysterious ways. And Allison just goes, how? How'd you know? Did you watch the Silver Stallion put the Fuck. baby in? Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, and then, my God, it was meant to just be a story. What? A, why? She. He then gets irritated. He says, the consequences, potential line of the episode, the consequences of the allegation of the one you toy at could be dire. The king gets up to do, do not speak of this again. This is Soft Viserys. This is J.V. Viserys. In the book, he makes it perfectly clear that anyone, royalty or not, speaking of this, again, would have their tongue out long as yes. he's alive. That Can shut Allison up. When he decreed that he did that in open court, he said that. Allison stopped making public accusations about it. Now, her private accusations continued, but he made it clear. Anybody, doesn't matter who you are, if you mention this shit again, in my presence, I will cut your tongue out. And I just wish they had given him that moment because they've 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 neutered him so much from what he was in, and, and, and it, look it's a it's, it's, a it's in keeping character. with the character it's in keeping with the character they but i just wish they'd have given him character. that moment of pushback on allison because she was she's walking all over him this episode i really would because like i've talked about how i wish that we could have seen more of the connection on screen between viserys and renera because i do believe that they're very close and we got a little bit of it right after the birth this would have been a chance for him to really step up and take his daughter's, you know, back here and say, look, you're just not going to talk about this again. I'm still the king. Like, I'm, I can make you not do that. Mm -hmm. And we've, know. we've seen him be threatening before. I mean, he threatened to remove the eyes of whoever questioned his daughter's, you know, virtue. But this seems, this seems of a serious that doesn't have that energy anymore. Cut to Allison with Sir Kristen. She's like using him as like a, Sounding board. I don't know. Sounding board, pet therapist, something. She's also asking, am I... Go ahead. No, go ahead. She's like, am I insane? Or is everyone else dreaming the same woolly dream? He says, sometimes it seems so, your grace. And they walk a bit further. Allison says, she flaunts the privilege of her inheritance without shame. She expects everyone in the Red Keep to deny the truth. Our eyes can plainly see. And the king, her father, Cole says he knows. And Allison says, of course he knows. Once he did, but now he's convinced himself otherwise. He'll do not but make excuses for her. Cole comes in hot. He, he's in an 11. This is a guy that's been stewing on this for 10 years, apparently. Yeah, I mean, he's really got to get with Gendry and figure out how to have a one-night stand, how to overreact from the one-night stand, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. get rejected, and then still be, like, have a little bit of common courtesy. Because, like, this is what's happened. Like, look, this is high school romantic politics. He hooked up with her. He he said, hey, you want to go steady? And she said, no, nah, it was just kind of a one-time thing. He, and then he said, you know what? Fuck you, bitch. And like, ev like I was, it's happening in high schools all over America. He is blaming her for everything that happened. And to a certain degree, that's fair. There's an imbalance in terms of authority and power that's going on with respect to that. But he's wrapping that up all in his own 
self-loathing on the subject of violating his vows and put you know, all of that blame on her and that has just gotten more twisted and toxic over the years of not talking about it or dealing with it. Do you have the coal line? Because I don't want to say it about my girl, Rhaenyra. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the Princess Rhaenyra is brazen and relentless. A spider who stings and sucks her prey dry. A spoiled cunt. Dot, dot, dot. Because now even Allison looks at him and is like, she stops walking and she looks like, down. She doesn't even look at him. She looks down. She's still royalty, sir. Keep it in, keep, keep it in check. And he's like, and, that was beneath me, your grace. I apologize. Yeah. And Allison says, look, somebody's got to believe me in the end. Honor and decency will prevail. We need <laughs> to hew at that and to each other. She basically says like, she doesn't even really address the, the C bomb. She's kind of like, I can't really touch that, but we gonna have to stay close because I'm basically entrenched in this position and I feel like everybody's against me. And first thing she does is go right to she her goes, son. She goes to Aegon. Let's talk uh, about that. Uh, what's Aegon yeah. doing at this moment? The most well, Roman Aeg- Roy thing we've ever seen in Game of Thrones. But what's he doing? Sure, cut to Aegon who's jerking off while standing on a windowsill. This is the windowsill that Tom had jumped out of, people. And this is what he's doing. Yeah. Now here's the thing. Allison comes in and, and yells at him. Whose idea was it? He slips. And falls backwards. Mm-hmm. Now, Allison, maybe you need to say, hey, hey, get down from the sill. Like, I'm not going to, like, startle you while you could potentially fall forward. And, like, he could have just as easily fallen forward. I don't like this. Oh, yeah. This whole thing had me very uncomfortable. Like, Allison, what are you doing? Like, he, he could have just fallen right out and died right there. This is true. Um, she asked Aegon uh, if the whole thing was his plot, which even that question indicates to me that while she, she telling the king that it was the grandchildren and their beast and they're terrible and they're bastards and they're all this. She knew it was Aegon the whole time. Aegon is now fumbling around both of uh, them. trying to cover himself up, says it was Jace and it was just the two of them. I uh, couldn't be sure. And then Queen says, Aemon is your brother and so fast out of Aegon's mouth. I mean, it is like knee-jerk reaction. He goes, well, he's a twat. It's like, okay, we're not even trying to hide this right now. Okay, gotcha. Understood. Allison then gives the worst motherly advice I've ever heard. Says, well, you can bully him at home all you want. Uh, just don't do it in public. Yeah, I'm curious. What? Does, what? Does cuff mean something different in British English? Because cuff to me means punch him, hit him, yeah. cuff somebody. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're endorsing that, Allison? You're okay? Yeah. The big brother bullies him to the point that he's hitting him? What? Yeah, this is, she is, this is terrible. This is very Lannister-style parenting right here. She's like, yeah, do anything you want to him at home. Beat the hell out of him, do whatever. But out in public, gotta be united, because, you know, we hate we hate Team Black. Mm-hmm. Then we have a great exchange, which is super telling, and everyone needs to remember this exchange. Mm-hmm. She says, look, as it stands now, Rhaenyra will inherit the Iron Throne, and Ja'Carri's Targaryen will be her heir. Aegon says, so? And Allison screams at him that he's nearly a grown man. Well, He's a grown man who jerks off on the window, out the window midday. I mean, I don't sure. know how much of a grown man that is, but it's a category. I don't know. Maybe biologically, he's grown. <laughs> she basically says he's ignorant of the situation. If Renera comes into power, your very life could be forfeit. Amen's as well. She could move to cut off any challenge to her claim. Key line. Key line. Aegon here. says, "I will not challenge." Oh, <laughs> keep track of that one. And she screams, you are the challenge simply by existing and breathing. Now, I think that she grabs his face and holds it. I think that she's frustrated. I think that part of her believes 
there's a part of her that does believe what her father has told her, which is that Aegon simply living and breathing and existing is a challenge to Rhaenyra's claim. Therefore, Rhaenyra would kill him. We have absolutely no evidence that Rhaenyra is thinking that way. But I also think she's just frustrated because she can tell that her son doesn't want to be king. He want, you know what he wants to do? He wants to jerk off on the windowsill midday unabated. That's can you what he get wants a, to do. Can you get a job in that in Westeros? I think there's probably, you know, career opportunities in that field. Yeah, it's called Prince. There we go. Yes, there is. Yeah, he could just be a prince. So in this conversation, it's laid plain that Alicent is continuing to obviously push Aegon as the heir, as the person who should rule, et cetera, et cetera. And Aegon is telling her, and I can t- you can tell in the conversation, he's told her many times, I don't, want I don't care. I don't care. Okay, Rhaenyra's going to be Rhaenyra's going to be queen. That's cool. That's what we've always said. That's what the king has said. That's what you know my dad has said. It's all fine. I don't, I'm not going to challenge her. No problem. Jaceris will be her heir. Cool. By me. Don't want it. I'm going to fly around on Dragonback and jerk. He's probably going to jerk off on Dragonback. Which just... do you think he can? Do you think he can do it on Dragonback without I think falling? This is a man who is going to try. This is this is the way he dies. He's still going to try it. Yeah, well, do it. Die but, doing yeah. what you love. Die a dragon rider's death. But I mean, uh, this is this is Allison very much giving him an Otto Hightower kind of speech. Yeah, and and him basically all it's a, it is offering a possible way of making all of that unnecessary. He was like, I don't intend to challenge. I'm friends with them in my own little way. I like them. I this like I like the kids. I like Renara. It's fine. To what degree with what you're telling me, self fulfilling, mom? Yeah, and she says everyone knows in their bones that one day you will be king, and he, he looks terrified by that. Yes. He does not look like he's happy with that statement. And she just yells, get dressed at him. Yeah, this is a guy clearly that is ready at any given moment upon request to assume the throne, people. Cuts a Damon, he's riding Craxies, and he's doing that, Craxies doing that super cool squeaking thing. Yeah. It's the best. I love Craxies. And we see... A shadow. A shadow. Oh my god, is that Vagar's music? It is, ladies and gentlemen. We finally see my favorite dragon of all the dragons of all of Westeros and all the ever. Vagar has entered the chat. And I gotta ask you, sir. This is something you've been looking forward to the entire damn season, even before that. Vagar is given a very unique betrayal in terms of how it looks and how it's designed. How did you feel about it? Love it. 10 out of 10. I love the size. First off, I love the size comparison as they're flying. You see Damon on the saddle and you see her on the saddle. And the size difference of Vagar is very clear. Yeah. Now, later on, we see Vagar's face. Vagar, they have said they modeled him based on a Komodo dragon. Why? Because the Komodo dragon is the largest lizard in the planet. There you Ah, go. There you go. Um, I love that he's got a different, that Vagar, she's got a different face. That she just looks different than all the other dragons. I like that she looks old. I like that you can tell she's 190 years old or whatever. I love that she, like, even when she's lifting her head up to see Lena in a later scene, it's kind of like, like a lot of extra weight. A lot, she's uncomfortable. We see that she's 190. That's awesome. But we also see the epic, epic size of the dragon. I love the portrayal. I thought it was great. I'm right there with you. I think it's perfect for what they're trying to go for here. Of where this looks like a hoary, injured warrior of a creature. Of where it's got battle scars on its wings. It's got little tears and huge the way, cuts around it. Battle scars from when they were conquering the Seven Kingdoms. That, that is the that is cool. the left. This dragon has been fighting for a hundred. You know, two, going on two hundred years now of her career. 
it doesn't even look scaly anymore. It looks leathery. It's almost like it's lost its scales as they've sloughed off. It, and as you said, it at times, particularly when it's laying down, it looks like it's about a half second from turning into stone and just becoming part of the landscape. That is the just age and timelessness of this dragon right now. And you also see its power. Where it's not fast. Craxy's just whipping around compared to this thing. But this thing is a lumbering titan of power. Yeah, so two things here I want to point out about this. One is that it just warms my heart that Vagar is in the picture. Yeah. That mm-hmm. Vagar has a rider again. Because remember Lena, who has clearly had her eyes on Vagar the entire time. Lena said that, the I believe, uh, the Spice Traders uh, heard her song. Because Vagar was alone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when 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 uh, Lena was talking to Viserys in that ill-fated match, Lena was explaining that what she'd heard is that Vagar, who was nesting off on the shore somewhere in Westeros, they'd heard her song and it sounded sad. And mm-hmm. then Viserys said, "I imagine even dragons get lonely." And now Vagar's got a rider. Vagar's got like an existence, like. It can hang out with Caraxes. Like, it, it, it's not just sitting, nesting alone with this really sad song anymore. So I like that. Second thing, it can be overshadowed by, literally overshadowed because of how big Vagar is. But let's not lose track of the fact that Caraxes has grown too. Caraxes has grown too. They all, I mean, dragons always grow. They, Caraxes they never is stop much growing. bigger than the last time we saw um, him. And I, it seems to me that Caraxes might be half the size of Vagar, about roughly. What about it, it, half, maybe? It's hard to tell. Maybe like an overall length half, but it looks like in terms of like mass and volume that Vagar's a chunk. Vagar's got some 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 heft that she's let, that she's putting up in the air. But they're uh, putting on a show uh, here in the scene, and they fly around. At one point, Vagar breathes fire. It cracks with aim and flies through it. And just as a data point for for everybody who's playing at home, uh, the last rider of Vagar before Lena, Viserys is dead. Yep, Viserys is dead. Um, who uh, was, what, Balon? Balon, very good. Balon. Yeah, Balon, who was son to Jaehaerys, mm-hmm. uh, who died uh, before Jaehaerys died, therefore had to go to Viserys. Uh, cut to that evening at dinner. Where are they at, Spencer? Pentos. Pentos over in Essos. So they uh, they went on the road. They did a traveling road show with the dragons, what they did. They're which, on tour. Which is important to note, I'm not a member of the triarchy. Three three no. different three three different of the free cities are members of that. Yeah, Lise, uh, Mir, and Tyrosh. Very good. Are the the triarchy Pintos and Bravos are not. And Volantis definitely not because Volantis would never oh. team up with anybody unless they could be in charge. Fuck no. Uh, cuts the, so there we're at dinner and it's quite a spread. Here's the things that I've got on the table. Okay. Um, I see, I see some organ meat, so I'm going to go ahead and say lamb hearts because that gets referenced. We got mm-hmm. jackfruit. We got some sort of melon. It looks very um, like a cucumber melon or a, um, a bit of a squash. Grapefruit, maybe. There is Ooh. a squash. There's a pomegranate. There's definitely skulls of sheep's head. So they got sheep's uh, sheep's head meat, like cheek meat, on the table somewhere. I see some pears and some sort of rice or couscous type dish. So that's what I got on the table so far. I really appreciate you bringing the proper George R. R. Martin in terms of recounting every one of the dishes that's on the table. I feel so authentic to the text right now. It's such a, a great Venn diagram for me because I love food and cooking, and I love the Song of Ice and Fire. So when he goes for like two pages about food, the rest of the fandom is like, "Give me a break!" And I'm like, "You're eating it up. up!" Like I re- I read it so close, I'm like <laughs> locked into it. 
Um, so Damon is at the head of this table, by the way, and his wife is Lena. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. There's the reveal. He did marry Lena. Shout out to Damon. That's yeah, a good call. I got to yeah. say, if I'm in this society, if I can't marry Renera, which is who I'd obviously want to marry, I would I would marry Lena. I would do exactly what Damon did. I'd, t- I'd shoot my shot with Renera. I'd probably get turned down, and I'd marry Lena. Would you also kill the Lady Rhea just to get to that point too? Absolutely not. She seemed great. Well, and in, ter- in terms of the two big events that apparently happened off camera in the last ten years, apparently they did. A Damon apparently did not get Runestone because he's here in semi-exile in Pentos, which is a a little bit disappointing that, that occurred off camera, just given how much they were pointedly going into it at the end of last which, episode. By the way, of that's going to be I'll a big tell you tension. What, I'll tell you what happened in the books. Yeah, he shows up. He demands Runestone. He's told <laughs> she, you. You will not get Runestone, and you are not welcome here. And if you're here in the morning, there's going to be a problem. Yeah, Aaron's don't, Aaron's don't fuck around. <laughs> the, 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 the lady Aaron very pointedly said, I don't believe you leave now. Yeah, that's a weird problem. Hence why What's House Roy thing? still rules Runestone by the time of the Game of Thrones proper. But What's the second thing that happened? Married Lena. Married Lena. There you go. Um, so, notice that Emil... And, had, and had two kids with one on the way, too. Had two kids. Uh, twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, notice that the male servant uh, comes over and Damon grabs his arm in a like a uh, question for you, Spencer. Is show Damon bisexual? Is it? Are we getting a little red viper situation? We've been getting a few of those because remember how he, remember his first thing he ever told Lena when he was at the wedding about how cute his brother was. Yeah, you're all, you're your almost as pretty was. as your brother, or something something along those lines. Yeah. He he has had a lot of flirtations when it came to men. They may even be suggesting to a certain degree that certain of his performance issues may be a certain conflict with respect to his sexuality. Who knows? There's a lot of possibilities there. But they've I don't certainly think been performance teasing. issues. I mean, he's got kids. Like he's again, Lady Ray's last thing she ever told him was, "I knew you couldn't finish." Well, but this, she but, even yeah, in stories. Yeah, but she says you finally come to consummate. So I don't even think they've had sex. So she must have just heard that, or she was just trying to be mean because I don't think they ever had a sexual encounter. No, but it, se- it, it seemed like it's an, it's enough of a thing that people make rumors about it in the story with respect to issues I'll with the sexuality on the show. Uh, I'll say this: he certainly flirts. I'll say this in the books: Lena is supposed to be one of the most beautiful women that we encounter. Yes, in the show. Lena is one of the most beautiful women we encounter. This I don't know who this actress is, but she's stunning. She's an 11. That she's she gorgeous. Absolutely stunningly gorgeous. And that is great for the plot because Damon still isn't happy. And you kind of want to shake him and go, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, she's awesome. She's gorgeous. You got kids. You're both dragon riders. She's got the biggest fucking dragon in the whole world. Why are you still, like, getting hammered every night and unhappy? It, what she asks him about, like twice, is that we can do whatever we want. Why are you just standing here and basically... It's almost like he's pretending to be Viserys, where he's just spending all of his time reading about other dragon riders and histories. It's like, you mocked your brother for that. Why are you living this life? Yeah. I got a theory, but we'll talk about it when we get to that scene. Lena, ever the, going back to the, the scene, Lena, ever the politician, comments that their cook, so I guess the cook that they brought, is super great. They got a cake coming. Everybody's going to fight over. The man who's hosting the event whose name we get here in a second, um, says that he wants to address something. So he does a toast. Now, it would seem to me that if you were just a person in Westeros, um, you'd probably get a little sick of the toast to Aegon the Conqueror, don't you think? It's Yeah, just like, you know, it, 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 has, been, it has been 120 years at this point. Can we also just, you know, we acknowledge he was great. 
George Washington, who once chopped down yeah. a cherry tree and could not lie. Aegon the Conqueror, your exalted forebearer, who joined our cause against Volantis. So good to us, Volantis. This is the reason he specifically does Aegon, is that there is a historical parallel he's really trying to emphasize right now. On the great dragon Valerion, he flew to our aid in lease and burned a fleet of enemy ships, thus turning the tide. Damon seems slightly amused by all of this. He stands up and says, Take on the Conqueror. So Damon is playing along. Uh, then he brings up business and wishes to make a proposal in the spirit of our storied alliance. Lena jumps in and says, Hey, if you want to marry one of our daughters, you should have just told us. Very funny line by one of the daughters who goes, What? <laughs> Pretty funny. And they're twins, so one of them is Bela, one of them is Rana. God help us in terms of telling who's who. Well, they actually look a little different. I think you can tell. I don't think that the actors are, are twins. I think I, that they just cast two very similar. I, I, I more admit, I don't think they ever named them. It, was, it wasn't clear to me who they were clearly identifying as one or the other. But we, um, we're we going to see them aged up next episode, or an episode from two from now, so eh. This uh, isn't a H- long line. HBO's got like a Targaryen family tree on their on their website, and they, oh, they, put, the faces, they put the faces to the name there. Um. He offers him basically. He, here's the here's the proposal. He offers him a permanent residence in Pentos. In essence, what he's saying is he's going to make them a lord of Pentos. He's going to give them lands, and those lands will include um, an area that is owned by Damon and Lena, and mm-hmm. that they have people working the land who will then pay them tribute, so that they will have constant income from this land as lords. The only thing they got to do is, you know, if they ever have any trouble. Kill the people we want dead. from the Triarchy, at least yeah. here in Tyrosh. Can you use those dragons to burn them all up, please, sir? Thank you. I mean, just even having Vagar is enough to stop a war. I mean, this dragon is enough of a storied history. Just acknowledging that it's an option they can wield in the field will get armies to not march. And by the way, the bigger a dragon gets, the more fire it breathes and the hotter the fire is. So, like, I don't know what comes out of Vagar's mouth, but it's, got, it's just going to lay waste to cities and fleets for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lena wants to go ahead and just refuse the offer right away, but Damon cuts her off and says it's the most generous offer, one we will most certainly entertain. Cuts to that evening, Lena walks up to where Damon is in some sort of library. Um, they're in a beautiful palace, I'd like to say. That's a hell of a scene. Uh, Damon's with one of his daughters and he's teaching her something, which, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot made in this episode about Damon potentially not being a good father. We get this scene there's also a, a cut scene that they have. Like, here's my problem, right, Spencer? When they make these episodes and they do a scene, they cut it, but then they release the scene. It's like, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to think about this? You might as well have put it in. Exactly. I don't know. It, but in the cut scene that they have since released after Lena's death, which happens in this episode, uh, Damon is hugging his children. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know why they cut it. And if you're going to cut it, why show it to us? So I don't know what to think of Damon, right? So I think what I'm what I'm what I'm driving at here is maybe he's a little bit of a better better father than it appears, although there it's it's lacking somewhat. He's a distant person, period, but he's trying. And Lannistrap says he's trying, and in this scene he's teaching them he appears to be teaching them high valerian, which, you know, a useful useful thing for them to have going forward. And something that he obviously prizes being able to speak, and he speaks with Renera anytime he's around her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lena walks up and says, you are considering Prince Regio's, there's the name, guy's name, mm-hmm. Prince Regio's offer. Damon says they have a good life there. She says, well, we're eternal guests. And he says, that's good. And she's basically like, dude, they're just using us. And he said, it's refreshing. Is it potential line of the episode? It's refreshing, isn't it? A simple transaction. We have dragons and they have gold. Easy, this, is, this is not the life Lena wants to lead, though. She, she is not one for just idle comfort. 
But she says, we are the blood of old Valeria. We don't belong here. Damon, in very potential line of the episode, Valeria is gone. We don't belong anywhere. That is a very, again, that's a very Viserys kind of line. It is. It really is. I don't see many, I can't imagine many other Targaryens saying that line. Uh, Those those two. Just just them, apparently. Maybe. Yeah, it may be like Daenerys. (laughs) Yeah. That's like it. Maybe, maybe Daenerys, yeah. maybe, maybe Meister, maybe Meister Aemon at the wall to a certain degree. It's a limited list of people that have been jaded by life. He rubs her belly. She says she wants her child to be born on Driftmark and her daughters to be raised by her family as their birthright. And she says, to the line of the episode, remember this line. I, at my end, I want to die a dragon rider's death, <clears throat> not that of some fat country lord. Keep track of that one. Damon kisses her stomach and goes back to his papers and he gives her this look like, are you fucking done? Like he, he can be a jackass. He really can. Damon? Damon can be a jackass? Really no. He just looks at her like, are you done? Get out of here. Yeah. And I'm Great like, talk, thanks. Damon, you're out kicking your coverage here. Maybe be nice to her. Good lord. <laughs> uh, cut to the courtyard. Aegon, Aemon, Jacares, and Lucerys are all out there trading. Uh, uh, notice that Aemon and Aegon are wearing green, and Jacares and Lucerys are wearing red. Interesting that. And who and who is monitoring their training? Who is their weapons master? Uh, that would be Sir Kristen Cole. Great. He's the one who's training them. And up on a ledge is the king mm-hmm. with his uh, hand. Um, and the king is drinking something out of a flask. Now, I think it's milk of the poppy. I think it, he's just I think he's just a dope addict at this point because of the constant pain from his disease. It's at least 80% milk of the poppy. That's my bet, yes. He probably dilutes it a little bit for flavor's sake, but yeah, I can't imagine this guy's not constantly drugged. So, you know, in our modern world, that's somebody who is terminally ill that is just taking, like, Vicodin all day long just to be able to operate in the world and not just sit and hurt. This guy should be in hospice, but somehow he's still ruling a kingdom. Yeah. Um, but he's he, having a good time. He says, this is the stuff, Lionel. Lads that learn together, train together, knock each other down, pick each other up. They will certainly form a lifelong bond. Don't you agree? Lionel Strong inability to lie to the king that is the uh, which was established last episode <laughs> oh my god he can't lie no he it's not lie. it's not in him and you can see the king just kind of goes yeah i'm still gonna keep <sighs> smiling Aegon finishes his training and then cole asks Aegon and amon to try to touch him and of course they can't so good job cole you look really like a big tough guy mm-hmm. uh harwin strong is there and he's telling the younger boys to keep their weapons up then he pushes cole and he's like hey maybe you could help them a little bit too cole gets all defensive you question my method of instruction sir harwin very quick-witted i merely suggest that method should apply to all your pupils perfectly fair and cole says sure and then decides to be the most jackass he can in that process so he brings jacaris forward to come spar with Aegon. now something happens here because obviously Aegon is much bigger much older than jacaris but what happens is jacaris almost wins like Jacarys is much more of a threat in this one-on-one battle with Aegon than I think Cole was anticipating. The blood is because, strong. Yeah, he is. Like, the, their fighting styles are so different. I mean, Aegon is able to win simply because of his size, but Jacarys is fucking a ball of fire just going yep. at him. Now, right. at one point, he does use a straw, like, dummy uh, to sort of block Cover him, him. And, and Harwin Strong doesn't like that pulls him aside says that's that's cheap shit we don't do that that's Bush League but they get back and they, they keep fighting and Aegon knocks Jacarys down and Cole keeps pushing and telling him hit him hit, hit him, him on the going, ground keep going keep going hit him on the ground Aeg- and then finally Harwin having enough of it thank God 
grabs Aegon and pulls him off, and Aegon roars, You dare put hands on me! The king yells, Aegon! That, that was one of my favorite parts, by the way. Yeah. Is the king screaming, Aegon, come on. Like, I'll tell you, Alicent and the kids are lucky that Aegon's got, or Viserys has this disease. Because if he was healthy, he would be cutting, he sees this bullshit, he's just not capable of stopping it. Right. But it's, he gives us many signs that he sees that this is ridiculous. Alicent later makes a thing, clearly, of the fact that he assaulted the prince. But cl- clearly, if it, if it hadn't been coupled with him also, you know, punching Cole to the ground, Viserys' inclination would have been to be no. just brush that off and get mad at Aegon for what, for, for, with respect to what happened. Because he didn't yell. He didn't yell, Strong, Harwin. He didn't yell like he was mad at Harwin Strong. Mm-hmm. He yelled Aegon. He yelled Aegon after Harwin Strong had pulled Aegon off. Yeah. Uh, so he was he was angry at Aegon for what had occurred. Question, by the way. Do you know the actor David Tennant? played Doctor Who, a few other roles. He was in Jessica Jones, yes. a few things. This is David yeah. Tennant's son, by the way, that is playing Aegon. Oh. Looks a bit yeah, like che- him yeah, if you look that, at that it checks. in there. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah, it does. Uh, Cole then says, you forget yourself strong, that is the prince. Harwood moves right on past that and says, this is what you teach, Cole. Cruelty to a weaker opponent. Cole then starts jabbing. Says, your interest yeah. in the princeling's training is quite unusual, Commander. Most men... We only have that kind of devotion toward, I don't know, cousin, I don't know, eh, brother or eh, son. That was enough. Harwin turns around and punches Cole right in the face. And there's a really fun, you know, they say that this show isn't funny, that one of the differences in House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones is that Game of Thrones had comedy, this one doesn't. I refute that because when Harwin punches Cole, they give a, they give a shot of Aegon. It was like, Oh, it's really hilarious. Like, oh shit! Like, moment really made me laugh. Now, now you because don't... Aegon has a ton of faults, but he is a funny kid. Like, he's he's pretty hilarious. Again, if he wasn't a line of succession, he'd be the most entertaining way to spend a Saturday night. Is go hang out with him in terms of where he takes you in King's Landing. Oh, can you imagine partying with Aegon? Good gracious! It, 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 which would be weirder, going out and partying with Aegon, or going out and part, partying with Damon? I think they'd be interesting categories of each other. I would rather go with Aegon. Uh, at this point, at this point. Um, Harwin <laughs> keeps punching him, and the king seems very upset by all of this. They finally pull Harwin away, and he's just screaming, say it again, say it again. And by the way, my brother, who I talk about a lot on this podcast because he, he's a big follower of the podcast, he watches all these shows, he's so team black now that he texted me and said, line of the episode is say it again. <laughs> That's how team black he is. <laughs> now, again, how much was... You talked about how much you enjoyed seeing Cole get his ass kicked. Yes. Fair to say, though, that Cole purposefully set this up to occur. 100%. I am not sure. Yes, he did. I am not sure that Cole could have handled Harwin Strong. I don't know that they've set it up that he could in the show. I mean, in the books, he clearly can. He does. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Of the, I'm not sure of the show. If he could have stopped it, he. Did, but he clearly stood there and took the punches, trying to get Harwin in trouble. It's hard for me to believe that Cole flailing his arm could break Lenor's nose in the previous episode. But all of those punches straight to Cole's face doesn't break anything from Harwin Strong. Hard for me to believe. Kind of was a little bit of lack of consistency there, Spencer. Uh, man's got a jaw. That's about the best explanation I got for that. Yeah, cuts a Radera who's using. Um, uh, who's with her newborn child, and someone comes in and tells her there's been an incident at the courtyard. Renera then uses her secret passage. We, It's cool. She's using the secret passages in King's Landing, or the, the, the Red Keep. She, she knows about them and now. The first time we ever, we got, to, we got to see the first time she ever noticed that, and then she's continuing to utilize them, so that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. She goes she, to Har, 
Harwin's room or the think, Hand of the King? Where'd she I'm go? Get, I'm guessing she goes to the Hand of the King's suite. It's probably the safest bet about where to go for where things are probably going down. Yeah, and she can overhear a conversation between Harwin and Lionel, and Lionel is giving Harwin the business for what occurred. Yeah, this probably should have happened earlier. Lionel is telling how shameful this is, and Harwin challenges him. He says, because I laid my hands on the insufferable Cole, the son of a steward. Lionel roars that Cole is a knight of the king's guard. Harwin says, well, Cole assaulted Prince Chikaris, future heir to the throne. Assailed Prince Chikaris, the future mm-hmm. heir to the throne. Lionel says Harwin has, quote, laid us open to accusations of an er- uglier treachery. This is the conversation you think should have occurred before. Yes, because clearly Lionel has known about this for a while, but has been keeping it in. And, hey, we talked about not having conversations and letting the resentment stew. Here's another example of that right now. Yeah, it's not a good thing to do. Have the conversation, folks. Harwin asks what treachery is. Lionel says, don't play the fool with me, boy. Your intimacy with the Princess Rhaenyra could mean exile and death for you, for the princess and the children. I don't think it would be, I don't think it would be exile and death. Maybe Maybe exile at the absolute worst for Rhaenyra. I doubt that even, though. Well, well, here's a point that Lionel probably doesn't know, or at least doesn't know for sure. He doesn't know whether Laner knows or how he would react. Because that that could have legs. That could be a threat to the children and even potentially Rhaenyra. If but the fact that Laner knows and doesn't care, I think Rhaenyra is safe physically. Yes. Um, but Harwin obviously is not. Harwin says it's just rumors potential line of the episode people have eyes boy i like that one yeah and he says yep and then he goes on to say but the king won't accept it and he says that the fact that the king won't accept it that the king's in quote denial uh, by the way i don't think the king's in denial i think people underestimate Viserys constantly i don't think he's in denial i think he's doing the public expedient denied. he's doing the expedient thing with the public denial um and he says that flimsy shield is what stands between him and a husband I don't mean, hell, Viserys knew Lanor when he was a kid. He's known him for years. He probably knows he's gay. He may even know yes. about the arrangement. And he I mean, probably doesn't care about any no. of that. He's just happy to have people, he's happy that his kids are happy and he's got grandkids. That's the level of caring Viserys wants to have about this situation. Back in her chambers, the princess gets something to ease the pain of her breast uh, because she's like milking post-birth. Yeah. And then we hear a very bad rendition of the bear and the maiden fair. <laughs> it's uh, a drunken rendition. <laughs> But that, you, that that song should sound familiar. It's the same. Yeah. Oh, here, from here to there. Yeah, yeah. Laner comes in with Carl. Yep. <laughs> here to there. Fuck, fuck you. It's going to be stuck in my head for an hour now. And Renera wants to know where he's been. Laner starts to explain to Carl. You see, look. Hey, Carl. Hey, look. Hey, hold, uh, hold on. Hold on. I got something to say. Hold on. Mm-hmm. See, mm-hmm. The, the milk, it, it, it swells the breast. <laughs> So funny from Renera where she just goes, Would you mind, Sir Carl? Which which Carl's like, Yep, I have no problem with that. I'm gone. There's no problem leaving him. Now we have Renera and Lanor, and he explains that the war is afoot again in the Stepstones. Woo! He, you, know, he sound, you know what he sounds like in this scene? Bobby B. Robert Baratheon. Yeah. He sounds, he sounds like Robert really Baratheon. Robert Baratheon. There's a war again! The, 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 I could free let my blood. The, the Ironborn aren't respecting my authority as king. I get to go, I get to go kill them all. Yeah, th- this is very much that. There's a war coming, Ned. I don't know who it is or where it's going to be, but I feel it in my bones, Ned. Not, not a bad Mark Addy. Well done. Yeah, yeah. I had, I had it from when we were doing the pod. Yeah. Before. Um, and he explains that the Triarchy now has an alliance with Thorn. That's actually kind of a problem. 
the triacre having it, if they it, now the martels are shifty, but if they truly are going to provide all of the military might of Dorne to the triarchy, that's a real problem for Westeros. Right. The, the, that that's no longer fighting over you know a certain measure of an archipelago in the middle of an ocean. That could actually have some degree of influence and authority that could be hard to ignore. Because by the way, they keep saying King of the Seven Kingdoms. He's King of the Six Kingdoms. Dorne isn't in the fold. Dorne has nothing to do with you people. And matter of fact, they have a military alliance with your enemy. So stop saying Seven Kingdoms. What? I'm sure Viserys sent a diplomat that will be reporting back soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got some people on it, okay? Can we yeah. wait two months? Um, and <laughs> Lanor says, he showed me, Carl showed me a sack of sapphires as big as walnuts he took from the pirate he slew. Holy shit. Lanor says this is exactly what he needs. A good fight to wake me up and liven his spirits. He mentions the tale of a Tairoshi general who is a giant, dyes his hair purple, and wears women's frocks. Now, we know in this world that there are giants, literal yeah. giants, that are and north we, of the wall. I don't think this guy's one of them. No, we do know Tairoshi loved to dye their beards, though, so mate, that, that, that one tracks. Yeah, because uh, Danny's paramour. Uh, right? Was, was he Tyroshi? Pure, yeah, purely in the books. Purely in the books, yes. Yeah. Uh, Renera smiles, um, but she's tearing up a little bit. Because um, she smiles at the general thing when he t he says that. She does smile. like seemed like she thought that was funny, but she's starting to tear up. And Lenor says, to be back at sea, and Renera says, are you mad? Do you know what's happening? Or have you guzzled all the ale and flea bottom and God's knows what besides? Hmm. So that sets the tone for the conversation. And you tell Lanor kind of sobers up and sits back in his chair like, oh shit, we're having a real conversation. Mm -hmm. So she talks about the questions about the son's parentage. Lanor says, she says all these insinuations. And Lanor says, insinuations are they? And Renera yells at him for this. She says, they are our sons, yours and mine, mm -hmm. sir. Very important. You continue to say that. And their true father would not abandon them to go carousing through the narrow sea, waggling his sword and winking at his sailors. I feel like the last part was an unnecessary shot at his sexuality. Well, so so was the guzzling all the ale and flea bottom and gods know what besides. That was like, also a bit of a game. If you're going to have, here's the deal, Renera, and I I love you, Renera, but here's the deal. If you're going to have this arrangement, you you cannot disrespect him for his sexuality. You cannot. Yeah. Like, I mean, you need to treat his sexuality the same way that your sexuality is treated. And, I mean, like, leave it at that. It, it's one of the things that we're... I'll, I'll put it on him that he that him wanting to just go frolicking off right now is tone deaf. It's just yeah. willfully ignorant what's going on. It's non-supportive of her in all kinds of ways. Rightfully on him. She's still being mean here to a certain degree, particularly with how she's going about this conversation. We've talked about it. Renera can be mean. And she's still showing that she ha she has that acid tongue when she wants to and it's i gotta say though. in this it's conversation i am team renera if i was in this world i would have been i would have been ahead of that blackwood kid in line asking for her <laughs> to hand. make a proposal yeah absolutely but i i take lenor's side in this conversation i think renera's being unnecessarily mean and i think that she should have a little bit more sympathy for the fact that he has been playing this part sitting in a city in essence doing nothing for 10 years and he feels useless, and he wants to go do something. And I don't think that's such a bad thing, by the way. If he loved feeling useless, that would be more of a problem. Yeah, he tells her as much, and she goes for another gay joke. That just seems to be the standard way she likes to poke and nettle him, which is just not acceptable. Well, is this a gay joke, though? Because she says, you are owed nothing. 
For ten years you have indulged yourself at court, bought the finest horses, drunk the rarest wines, fucked the lustiest boys. That was our agreement. I'm not sure that's a joke. I think that's pretty descriptive about what he was doing. Fair. It's, it's, it's at least using his sexuality as a basis of focus. Okay, that's true. Um, and she says, I have not begrudged you, but you do not desert your post when the storm approaches. And he says, the wise sailor flees the storm as it gathers. And then, you know, you think that that's a line that she's just going to dismiss, but it clearly sticks with her. It sticks with because he repeats it later. But yeah. th this is, again, a Rhaenyra that has grown up, that has matured, because she acknowledges the point. It's like, okay, I know where you're coming from. As the heir and princess of the realm, I order you to do what I say. It's like, I'm not, we're not talking about this anymore. Thank you. And what I love about Lainor is that when she does that, he just it's goes, like, hmm, all right, the conversation I, I, over. Understood. I, I get our relative roles. He, like, exhales and, like, his body relaxes, and he's just like, okay, all right, we're, we're done with this right now. Yeah. Cut to Rhaenyra holding a dragon egg. Uh, Reyna. Reyna is the child. This is Reyna. I looked it up. I looked okay. her face up. So the one without a dragon is That's Reyna. true, because he talks about ba she talks about Bela. You're right. Cut to Reyna holding a dragon egg up to the fire. Lena walks in. Uh, Reyna explains that it's been... Um, or Lena explains to Reyna. So the older lady eight, explaining to the younger it's lady. It's been eight years, dear. It's been eight years and half the eggs never hatched. Now, we know that they don't expect this egg to hatch because they're allowing her to just walk around with it, right? Yeah. The eggs they expect to hatch, they keep on coals. Mm -hmm. So they obviously have decided that this egg isn't going to hatch. So they just give it to her to walk around with. Yeah, th this is her doll. This is her toy that she keeps with her as a little comforting play effect. But Lena, and this gets to the conversation we were having earlier, we kind of jump in the gun a little bit on the conversation. This is sort of the appropriate place to talk about it. Lena starts talking about that there's more than one way to bind yourself to a dragon. Mm -hmm. That she herself was without a dragon until she was 15 and now she rides Vagar. Can we pause the script right there? And can I respectfully request, as a very avid fan and professional podcaster, please explain how you fucking got Vagar. Like, I, it's not the books. I wanted the two sentences of how did this happen? We, well, last we knew, Vagar was nesting on the shore of Westeros somewhere, way, way the fuck away from everybody. Lena was 11, and four years later, not only does she encounter Vagar, she starts writing Vagar. I want the story. I demand the story. I, you know, you, you know what my head canon always was. I, we don't know. I, I, I at least don't remember if they if they say in the books. But I was assumed it was always kind of a sheep stealer situation of where there was a build up, there was an earning of trust, there was a process she went about for this. But we don't get the story here, and that feels like it's a bit of a an unfortunate uh, left on the editing room floor from the fan perspective. See, I my head canon is different. It's that Vagar was truly lonely. Hmm. And people, other dragon riders, were intimidated to approach her. But as soon as Lena approached, Vagar was ready to go. And that would explain some events that we get later. That Vagar is ready for a dragon rider. Like, wants one. Seriously. Because it's lonely. And I think that's, okay. that's what happened. But either way, we didn't get the fucking story. But she does say that Vagar is the largest in the world. And, and you know, obviously Reyna lights up at that. She explains that you're going to have a harder road. Your dragon won't be born to you, but if you wish to be a rider, you can claim that right. And Damon would tell her the same thing. This is my point. Damon would tell her the same thing because he did that with Caraxes. Caraxes mm -hmm. had a rider before Damon. He had to claim Caraxes. Caraxes was not born in his his. Caraxes is we have to remember is a, is a full adult dragon. Caraxes is actually one of the one, older than average of, of the dragons we've seen so far in the show. Mm -hmm. 
Yep, and was uh, rid, rid, driven, uh, ridden before Damon. So actually both of Reyna's parents had to claim a dragon that would, mm-hmm. had already been ridden before. Uh, cut to Damon. He's outside on the roof drinking. Lena walks up and he smiles at her and he props up a pillow for her to s- sit down. That might seem like a really small thing, but I think for Damon... That's a big do gesture for Damon. He doesn't do that with a lot of people, especially no. when he's drinking. Um, so he, I, th- I think we've gotten enough to see in this episode that he does care for Lena a lot. He does, and this conversation is the point that hammers it down because she essentially asks him, or at least ponders the idea, I'm not the one you wanted, right? And he well, makes an effort yeah, that, to dismiss it. That comes, but first we have a really funny line where she says that Lenor has written and said that Rhaenyra has delivered another son. Damon, did he also say if this one bears a marked but entirely coincidental resemblance to the commander of the City Watch? Makes Lena laugh. Uh, seems, seems to, to leave that, that detail, detail out. <laughs> uh, so they kind of have a good time with it. She says mm-hmm. she misses her brother, and she says, as I think you do, I think you miss your brother. Who's serious? Damon then goes off talking about how he misses the best uh, wine, yeah. and it could be dependent on for a good drunk, and he's just really misdirecting here. Uh, and she points out that, like, look, I don't think you like Pentos. You you stay here, but you don't go in the city. You spend your time sitting around reading about the same dead dragon lords whose legacy you claim have no hold on you. Again, very Viserys kind of actions he's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And she says, life has perhaps disappointed you. Perhaps I, too, am not the wife would have wished for yourself and here's the thing Lena is the most beautiful uh, creature other than Vagar that we've seen in this entire story <laughs> that's your point of comparison good to know okay uh, male female anything this this person playing Lena is the most beautiful anything we've seen but that's true he would have he would have preferred to marry Rhaenyra that's true uh, but again this is a token that he at least cares enough about her that he Immediately tries to dismiss and deny. This is Lena. Don't you know, basically don't don't go don't go there. Don't say that. Like we we both don't know it's true, yourself. but like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but Damon. Um, yeah, but Lena basically says, "I know it's okay. I'm used to it. But you're more than this. You this is you. What this is in front of me right now is not the man I married. And that seems to have a bit of an effect on him. It's just like mm, yeah. he doesn't say anything, but he. It, that's it hits a home, hit. For sure. That's a it hit. hits home. Absolutely. Cuts over there in the small council meeting. Um, there's been a many of people on Twitter uh, who have commented that they would uh, they give a lot to be the little the little orb uh, that Renera that she's fiddling with and of course fiddling with and slowly fond- fondling if you will. Yes, they seem very very. I saw a lot of jokes about that. I uh, thought that was but funny. but sir sir, what political debate is in front of the small council today? Well, it seems. Spencer. Tell me, tell me. Blackwoods Blackwoods and the Brackens are bad. bad I could never have predicted this. How on earth? Are you telling me the Hatfields and McCoys still don't like each other? Unbelievable. I love the consistency. So they're hearing about how the Blackwoods and the Brackens are fighting again about horses grazing on different fields. A boundary dispute. Boundary dispute. Yeah, Allison says it's a Tully problem. Tully's a... Last I checked, Tully's... They run Riverlands, right? All right, it's a Tully problem. Renair says, and yet... The Brackets and the Blackwoods will use any excuse to spill each other's blood, meaning this could be our problem because violence could, could yeah. w- happen w- from this. We can help. Why not we do something right now and avoid the problem later? I mean, just ask the small folk. They probably know. And pretty much everyone in the room goes, yeah, 
Yeah, that yeah, would work. Says, yeah, that's except, easy enough. I, except I Allison. Allison is just pissed that she got shown she up. She rolls right. her eyes and goes, of course. Like, basically, of course you're all going to agree with her. Like, she, she has this victim complex about Rhaenyra. Like, everyone's on her side, and everyone's against me, and it's not fair. That, to the point that she can't, she can't properly listen to what Rhaenyra is saying. Like, if yeah. Rhaenyra says, like, hey, Allison, sky's like, blue. the weather, the sky's blue, the weather's going to be this. Like, she can't internalize what she's saying without this crazy filter of everything she says is a lie, everything she does is selfish, and everybody else just coddles her and, and facilitates all this madness. And mm-hmm. that's really how her life is. And that's kind of what you're getting in this conversation. Yeah, Cut to Tylan, Tylan Lannister, who's made it 10 years on the council. Can you believe that? A Lannister, 10 years on the council. Hey, look at Lord Beesbury next to him. That guy's been there a ways. <laughs> yeah, he says they need to talk about the Sepstone, and Beesbury says, well, I think the Blackwoods are right here. <laughs> uh, we're, moving on, moving on. Bro. Did you notice the Maester is uh, is not uh, Maester Malos? Mr. Malos, I think, has passed away in these 10 years. Which, which, which fits the book. I forget the name of his replacement. I'll, I will actually look that up while we're talking. Yeah, so he, Maester Malos, no no longer, and we have a, we have a place for Malos. But Beesbury, Master Coin, is still there. Tylan talks about the Triarchy's new alliance with Dorne. He said he hopes their negotiations with Sunspear, that's Dorne, or the negotiations with Dorne would have persuaded them. Viserys drops a wonderful line here, which I co-sign a thousand percent. To trust a Martell is to be disappointed. I'm fully behind that line. You know, you always say, you know, fuck the high, fuck the high towers. I am fuck the Martells. Just dear God. They are shifty fuckers, man. You or, cannot. I, I, that's a great line. To trust a Martell is to be disappointed. Damon is brought up. Allison says, Damon, do you have the name? Uh, Orwell. Orwell, I think it is. Orwell, Orwell, yeah. Uh, Allison says Damon won the battle in the steps of his decade ago, and he is—he has since left the region undefended. He has, Spencer. Damon has, personally. Uh, yeah, him solely, yeah. Renera cuts that bullshit right off, says, we left it undefended. She says, look, we should have built fortifications, left men there, ships. I mean, you know, a military presence, if we want to keep it. Doesn't that make some fucking sense? Now it's because we can't afford it. It's expensive. We beggar the realm. Do you really want to make the average person pay those taxes? Consider the cost to our subjects. Beesbury starts to agree, but Radera cuts him off. Says, the cost of war is greater, which she's 100% right about. If we leave them empty, the triarchy's just going to come back in, and then we have We're to just... fight them for it. And that is way worse money-wise, people-wise, everything-wise than if we had just put people there to defend it to begin with. Yeah, and even if the Triarchy doesn't step in, this thing has been a haven for pirates forever. If you leave it open, they're going to come back. And Viserys, my read on Viserys here is that he agrees with Rhaenyra, but he doesn't want to say so, and he just wants to be done with this, and that's a problem. Because the king has should be facilitating this conversation. Yeah, And but instead, all he wants to do is get the fuck, he just wants to get the fuck out of there. And that's, that's a problem. So yeah. Allison says, let us be finished, and the king says, fine, let's go. Wait, I have something to say. King says, well, let's be seated. And she goes on. And Rhaenyra delivers a masterstroke of a political move that catches Alicent completely wrong-footed. Alicent did not see this coming. As Rhaenyra publicly apologizes for the tension that's grown between them, and then suggests that... And long before that, by the way, we were friends. Yes, we were friends. But we are one house. Uh, and so my, my son, Jaehaerys, will inherit the Iron Throne after me, Jaehaerys. I propose that we betroth him to your daughter, Helena. Ally ourselves 
once and for all. Let them rule together. And the king, one arm fist pumping. He's, it, yeah, let's it, go. This is everything he's dreamed of. And pretty much let's all around the this. room, everyone around the room's going, perfect. Genius. Except Allison, who looks like she just got hit in the face with a bus. And then she goes on to say if Cyrax brings another clutch of eggs. Which, by the way, Cyrax now is giving out eggs. So that's yep. really great for Redera because not only does she have a dragon that she can ride who's an adult, she's also getting dragon eggs from her dragon, which is really mm. cool. And says, we will give one to Aemon. He can have his choice. It's a symbol of our goodwill. And Allison says, Renera, and looks down at her chest. And Renera has milk leaking from her breast. And she, has, she says, seven hells, and she covers it, and she sits down, and all the men are looking away ashamed. And here's my thing, Spencer. Mm-hmm. Who gives a shit? She's proposing something that could stop a civil war in this realm. She could she could propose something that could create lasting peace for hundreds of years is what she's proposing here. How about we focus on that and not the three ounces of milk on her fucking shirt? Well, and unbelievable to me that people even cared. Like well, it, I know that I know this is a misogynistic society, but yeah. I feel like if I feel like if Lionel Strong had his druthers, he could, if if you, his real brain was speaking and he wasn't like, you know, all caught up in all these pleasantries, he'd have just been like, who gives a fuck? Like, maybe, you know who might have said it? Melos. Melos might have said, who gives a fuck? Because occasionally he said Melos that. was the guy to say, who gives a fuck right now? Perfectly normal right now. Continue. She's got little, a little bit of milk leaking from her shit. Like, she's proposing a huge thing here. Let's focus on that, people. Yeah, Melos probably would have said something at the line's It's good to know that the queen is healthy. Now, continuing on. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good. The, Very natural. Let's go. It's all the worse that Allison plays this card. She knows that she can use this kind of just, you know, moment she points this out, all the men are going to be comfortable due to institutional misogyny. And she does that so she doesn't have to publicly appear to deny what everyone acknowledges is a great offer and a wonderful idea. Because she was going to say no. And, and if she did, she'd come off looking horrible. She'd be the one that's something responsible. She'd be the one that'd be telling rumors about, oh, this was an opportunity to, you know, unite the realm, strengthen the authority, and she rejected it? Oh, how unacceptable. And so instead of doing that, she instead uses institutional misogyny to humiliate Rhaenyra. Viserys says the dragon is a, is a great gift. He's like prodding Allison, like, hey, the dragon egg is a really good gift, okay? And Allison says, thanks for your offer. We'll consider it duly. Now, here's a problem I have. And it's, a, it's like it's like a genuine problem, and it's not like a... You know how we always argue where you'll have a problem and it takes you out of the scene? And I go, yeah, but that's the point. It was supposed to be. Yeah. This almost takes me out. Viserys is king. Mm -hmm. That is his daughter. He can accept the marriage arrangement. He does not need Alicent to sign off on this. He could have looked at Rhaenyra and said yes and had this marriage done before he died. You, you, I have no idea why he didn't do that. And it, 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 seem, it, it seems the only reason that he didn't do it is because it would have stopped the plot in its tracks. Well, no, I, I think I view it as being very in keeping from what we've seen of Viserys in the past because it reminds me of a conversation that he had with Melos of where, you know, he said, I don't want to make Rhaenyra do this. He doesn't want to force his children, force his wife to accept this. He wants them to agree. He wants them to be happy. He wants their consent. It's a problem. It's a recurring character, not defect, it's just a nature of who he is, but it keeps interfering with things. And this is just one of the worst possible moments of it, because we've commented on, what were the moments that Viserys could have avoided a war? This is one Many of the last times. ones right here. This is one of the last yeah, I mean, ones, though. Th- well, he still could, yeah, he could abdicate at any point. 
and abdicate and place the crown on fucking Rhaenyra's head himself. And, and rule with her for a period in some way. And go to Dragonstone as her heir unless she wanted him to stay on his hand. And that would have absolutely ensured that she kept the throne. But he's not willing to do that, obviously. He could have. I, I just, it's hard for me to believe that the king is as as backed up and soft as he is through this disease or whatever. Doesn't just slam his hand down on the on the counter and say, good, let's do it. At this it's point, my I- daughter. At this point, even a gesture like that might break his hand. That's the scale of feebleness we're it's seeing. It's my daughter. Yes, I know. let's do it. Let's I know. go. Come on. Come on. I, I in think the hallway. I think it's in keeping of the character, but I agree. It is frustrating. It's straining credulity, though, for me. I mean, maybe it's on the line. You can argue that like it's like a maximum example of his impotence, or you mm-hmm. can say it's not realistic that the king wouldn't do that, and they're just advancing the plot. I don't know. In the hallway, Allison says how sweetly the fox speaks when she's been cornered by hounds. She does not, she, in these ten years, she's just gotten to openly trashing Rhaenyra in front of the king. And she's making no effort to hide that the reason she's rejecting this is because she thinks that she's winning. She thinks she's in a superior position. That's the only reason she's rejecting this piece offer. I think you raised that point on text with us, and I think it's a wonderful point, which is, she's saying no because she thinks she can win. Yeah, that's it. It's not because of the bastard thing. She doesn't. No, she, that's not the reason. That's a it's weapon. She thinks she can sit Aegon on the throne. She. The only reason she's objecting to the bastard thing, it's just. It doesn't give a shit about the morals of it. Really, it's because she thinks it's a weakness she can exploit. The king implores her, says it's a good match, and they're all family. Let us put aside these childish quarrels, join hands, and be stronger for it. From Allison's perspective, the idea that Rhaenyra's kids are court bastards probably annoys her that the king would call that a childish quarrel so that's probably irritating her here and she says you do as you may wish husband when i am cold in my grave and i i don't understand <laughs> i just don't understand why the king doesn't roar i am king because it's not Viserys that's all he's got to say it, it, i am king shut up like can I, you can you imagine well, his word is law he's still king can you imagine if damon was on the throne and allison tried to tell him that yeah they could have been married since they were 13 and he still would be like shut like this this is an absolute dictatorship the king's right. word is law all he's got to do is scream at her and say no do you, you, you remember the moment of when um joffrey tried to talk back to tywin and tywin just looked at him and said the king is tired and yeah. just has people just haul the king out of the room that's what viserys could have done here without a heartbeat but it's not in character for him to do it he wants to try to make everybody happy even Someone like Allison that just does not give a shit anymore about him. The king gets into his chambers, sits down, and she starts working to put the blanket on him. He tries to resist, but she does it anyway. And the hand comes in, Lionel Strong comes in, and Viserys says, yeah, let him come in, let him come in. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lionel looks hesitant because Allison is there, but he finally says, you know what, I'm resigning. The episode in the yard this morning, my son Harwin has disgraced himself, and every fishwife in King's Landing will soon be telling the tale. Spencer, do you agree with Lionel Strong's decision to try to resign here? I think, well, as is called out in this conversation, they're hiding the real reason behind it. I mean, his his actual reason is that, A, he wants to protect his son and protect his house. B, and I think this isn't fair to the guy from we've seen him before, he thinks that this compromises his ability to be impartial because he now has something that he's keeping secret from the king. With those at play, if I was Lionel Strong, I'd get the hell out of Dodge. We see what happens when he even just tries to both, get the hell out of Dodge. We both know that if either one of us was ever going to be a king, it would be me. 
Yes, absolutely. And you, would, you, and you would be my very frustrating hand. And I would not let you resign over this. I'm with Viserys on this. I don't believe this is... I would say no. No, absolutely not. Even if he named it, I'd be like, no. Uh-uh. That's not... Lionel Strong has never showed himself to have an inability to be impartial. Mm-hmm. Even when he was dealing with Harwin potentially being a marriage match to Rhaenyra, he was able to dismiss that. Like, he's always been impartial. I would say, look, I think you can do it. Fuck it. Uh, I'm with Viserys here. And question. Why specifically do you think he doesn't tell Viserys? Because he thinks Viserys is just... Because you know, of Otto. No, you, think, you think Otto? You think, you, think, you think Otto and Allison that if he says this out, it's immediately going to be all... No, I think he remember. I think he remembers how the last king got. Dismissed. Oh, fair. Okay. Hey, that that could get him out. That could get him fired real quick. Yeah, but he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to be disgraced. He doesn't yeah. want to be expelled. Like, and he remembers when Otto named it. There's a great parallel between these two scenes because the king did the same thing between Otto and and Lionel. He says, "Name it. Name the uncomfortable thing that mm-hmm. you've come in here about." And Otto names it. Lionel, Lionel doesn't. When Otto names it, he kicks him out. So I don't know. I thought I thought maybe that played into it a little bit. I think he might have been what might have been willing to tell him if if uh, Allison wasn't there. That's true because he knows. I mean, the machinations there of, of of speaking it out loud with Allison around and her you know desire for it to be true so that she can undermine Renera's position. It's all yeah. It's well, all caught up. See, if he said it to Allison, Allison would immediately organize like a trial from the seven. At the faith, actually prosecute this as being a crime under religious law. And make Lionel Strong provide testimony. She knows. She now knows that he would. That now knows that he, that he wouldn't. They wouldn't deny it. And that's that's, so, that's something I don't think Lionel Strong is willing to get into. That's a really good point. If he just said it here, then he would have known. She would have known that he'd be willing to say it at some point. Ah, that's a good. That's good. That's good. I like that. Um, the Queen then takes off to dinner. <laughs> what a lovely dinner partner she has here. I gotta say. My favorite character, as far as like pound for pound interesting on the screen, is Larry's. By far, I don't know this actor. I don't think I've seen anything with him before. He is delivering one hell of a performance with respect to this. He is some weird combination. I see. He is a weird combination of both Littlefinger, Varys, and his own little spice thrown in there too. Stannis. He's also Stannis because he's got the little brother complex and the ability to execute. Very fair. Good point. Uh, so they're at dinner, and uh, Allison explains. So basically, Larry says, "Hey, look, I uh, normally I bring you all the gossip, but now you got something I don't know. My dad came to see y'all, and she goes, yeah, he tried to resign, but King wouldn't let him.' Larry says, "Yeah, I thought as much. His honor's always been a millstone around his esteemed neck. So he's I like got that line. Got some resentment against his father, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he says, interesting that you said attempted. And Allison explains the king didn't accept. Larry's puts together." Lionel failed to convince the king of Harwin's, quote, transgressions. Mm-hmm. Allison says that the outburst in the yard, Harwin all but admitted his transgressions. I don't agree with that. Uh, I think that's wishful interpretation. Thinking on, wishful thinking on her part. And I don't think Larry's believes it either because he says the truth has many colors or flavors. Truth has many flavors. And uh, says, do you expect the king to doom his dear daughter to exile? Someone walks in. The queen very curtly cuts them off. I love the little stuff like that. She's an asshole to her servants, too. I, like, Taylor, we see that. This servant also was paying a little bit of attention outside the door, too. I almost was expecting Larry's to lean into her and say, yeah, he works for my dad. She works for my dad. It almost was like this was a spy that was trying to get info for somebody else. Maybe. Maybe. But I, I just got the impression she just, like, snaps at her servants with no I problem. I think that's in keeping, yes. 
Yeah. Uh, Larry says that it's willful blindness. Surely you would. And Alice had said, I would not. Basically, what Larry's saying is that the king has willful blindness about his own daughter. And surely she would do the same with her children. She says, I would not. Your Honor, I'd like to present a case. Uh, you just caught your son jerking off onto the town and you pretended like that wasn't happening in that conversation. You strongly suspected Aegon was behind the pink dread thing and you pretended to everyone who would listen that you didn't think that. I'm pretty sure you would cover up for your children. You've just proved twice in this episode that you would. Covered up for Kristen Cole and you better believe she's going to cover up for Larry's by the time the next episode starts too. Oh, she's good. That's a big one. Allison explains that Lionel is escorting Harwin back to Harion Hall. Herod Hall, Larry says that his father cannot give unbiased counsel to the king. This is your point. Allison says that that makes her miss Otto because Otto would tell the truth to the king. Uh, Larry's even calls this out. Says you cannot say, my queen, that your father would be impartial. No, but he was partial to me. There it is. (sighs) And Larry's, I love the camera work in the scene because it cuts on Larry's and Larry's then sees it. He sees what he needs. In his mind, he goes, ah, I see what she wants now. I'm going to say, in fairness to Allison, don't think Allison would have ever asked this or even really thought it. No. No, I don't think so either. But I think what he interpreted that as is she wants an attack dog. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to ingratiate myself to her, I'm going to be an attack dog. Now, he happens to be a psychopath. Yes, so when you, when you tell in. a psychopath to be your attack dog, there are consequences. Yeah, it's like, so shit happens. I, I'd like my kid to sit the Iron Throne. Okay, well, I just need to kill 8,322 people. Okay, thank you. Got my orders. Done. I mean, like, she even reinforces it. She says, in all of King's Landing, is there no one to say, take my side? And Larry's just sitting there thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll take your side. Okay. So he proceeds to do so. He goes to the dungeon to people who are sentenced to death. And uh, who says that, he says, I'll save your life if you do basically my bidding. Something. Um, so first he takes their tongue out very reminiscent of the little birds with fairies. Uh, basically, uh, when you have spies, it's good to take their tongue out. Very very reminiscent of a certain Uncle Greyjoy, too, in terms of uh, his ship of mutes. Euron, Euron did the same thing. Um, there, you know, There's some, some belief that, that, that some of Varys' children uh, also didn't have their tongues. So this is, this is something that happens in this world where when you have a spy network, you take their tongues out. Why? Because most people in this society are not literate, cannot read and write. Mm-hmm. So if you can't write... And presumably you can't sign. If I take your tongue out, you literally cannot tell on me. Right. We all There's know no how way. hard charades is. No one's going to use no way of telling on me. Mm-hmm. So it's like they, they, he's basically created an army of soldiers that he can give orders to who cannot tell on him even if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. So um, Katalena tr- pushing to have her third child, trying so hard. I mean, I, I mocked it to a certain degree earlier, but this show oh. is accurately portraying that childbirth before the modern era and even a lot of parts of the world during the modern era sucks and has massive risks for both mother and child. Oh, we got a friend who's, uh, who, who just uh, uh, had, had labor for like uh, over 24 hours. Like it, yeah. even in the modern world with all of the, all of the medicine and all of the advances we have, it can still be terribly painful and long for women. And back then when all they basically had is like, Hey, bite down on this belt. Like, yeah, it fucking sucked. Like, yeah, and that, so that's what we're seeing with Lena. It's really awful, really terrible. And finally, the guy who is like some sort of like Pentosi, like maester, like whatever that sort of one is. It's like, I, I can't do anything for her. Sorry. And just walks out. I've reached my limit. And Damon says, my brave girl. 
So he, I'm telling you, he really does like her in his own way. In, in his damn way. And, and yeah. apparently this Meister has been trained in certain modern cesarean techniques, too. He says we could lay the womb open, try to remove the infant by way Again, of the blade. The parallels between Damon and Viserys this episode are willful and intense. Yeah, he says, I can't, I can't say with sure, there are sureties if, sureties if she would live. Damon asked if the mother would survive it, and he says no. We never really get we never really get Damon's answer to this if he's it willing to do it. It seems like he dismisses it though. It seems it like seems he shakes like he his says head. No. Yeah. Because otherwise they would have strapped her down to the bed like they did Emma, right? They held her down. They they would have held her down to do the C section. He obviously either said no or said I'm thinking about it or said I need to ask Lena. Because he yeah. he clearly didn't say go do it right now. Mm-hmm. So cut to Lena, she's walking out to Vagar. Actively hemorrhaging. Just I'm gonna say this is the toughest scene that we've seen in the entire show so far. Um we see Vagar look up at her. So we get a real good face shot of Vagar, and it really does kind of look like a Komodo dragon or like a horse, big long nose, but huge and hulking. And this is what I was talking about earlier about how Vagar, when, when she moves and tries to sit up, it's like almost has like extra weight. And it's almost like hard for her to even position herself up. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> Lena is screaming the command Dracarys. And she Vagar says, looks six, le- Vega looks legitimately confused at first at the start of this comp- at the start of this demand. If you can make a dragon have like a like a like a mental exercise that we can follow, I think they did it because it seems to me that Vagar is asleep, looks up, goes, "What? what? No." sees sees her, no. sees she's in pain, thinks, "No, I don't want to do that," and then goes, "Well, that's the way she wants to go and makes a conscious decision. It seems like they gave the dragon some agency here they in did. a way that I'm not sure any other dragon other than season eight Drogon has ever gotten in this series. And if there's a dragon you're going to give that to, Vagar's an excellent choice for it. Now I'll say this. She had to say Dracarys six times before Vagar was willing well, to do it. And it's not the Dracarys in the end that seems to get Vagar to do it. It's when she just kind of calmly settles herself and then looks Vagar in the eye. And yep. they share and Vagar, a bit of a moment. And Vagar actually changes what she's looking at to look Lena directly in the eye. And it's that when that you're absolutely right, Spencer, when they connect, that's when Vagar starts the process of burning her. Because, I mean, I, I, there, I wanted more of Damon and Lena's relationship, but this is such a powerful scene of an exit of where it's Lena acting on her own agency the way, the way that Emma Aaron was not, was not able to do. It's her making this call, but in the end, it isn't an order. It's an understanding. It's a meeting of the minds. It's a mutual decision between the two that gets it finally done. It's a powerfully well done scene. So my headcanon is that Damon, neither Damon nor the Maester told Lena about the C-section option. Hmm. Because if she knew about the C-section option and she still did this, obviously it's her body and obviously it's her choice. Hmm. But I do have... I do have the ability to to disagree with the choice. Sure. Because she's obvi- she knows she's she's walking to her death. Why wouldn't she at least try to get the baby let them try to get the baby out to survive first? Why wouldn't she do that? So I don't think she was ever told about this option and I think that compounds the horror in Damon's face when he sees this happen because he knows we didn't even have the chance to save the baby before this occurred. I think mm-hmm. that's what happened. I we we didn't see the conversation happen so we can't know in the end, I support whatever decision she wants to make because God, from what we saw before, that option seems hella painful for the mother. I'm sorry, I, I don't know that I do. I mean, like, if she's told, 
we can try to get the baby out. Why would she then say, no, don't do that. Let me go burn us both up with this dragon. Like that doesn't, One that's much not like, a good decision. It, you can debate, you know, your Stuart Mill utilitarianism, but from a sheer just pain perspective, one looks remarkably less painful than the other. I think it's okay to, I, like, I, I'm, I'm sorry if, like, I'm offending people, but I think it's okay to say, no, like, she, sh- like, if she was given the opportunity knowing she's going to die, hmm. it's okay to try to save the baby. Now, we both know that in canon, the baby is a twisted, malformed dragon but, thing, and that thing was never going to survive yeah, regardless of what happened. I was going to mention this when we, when we get to the after episode. I think we should some too. This is a very different scene than they did in the book, and it's a very intentionally different scene than what we got in the book. Yeah, so that baby wasn't going to survive no matter what happened. I just, I don't know. I think it's okay to make the point. Like, if she was told that and she still went out and got burned, like, come on now. Come on, Lena. I don't think she was told that. Either way, we she didn't goes out, it, she gets burned. And we very have a, a very emotional scene from Damon who is walking out and calls to her and sees this occur. And he he is affected. Like, don't, don't tell me Damon doesn't care about you, this woman and this doesn't bother him. You also talked about, you know, strength of dragon fire. Like, Danny's dragons before, if they breathe fire on somebody, they writhe, they're in pain, they're covered in fire. Lane is gone. Like, disappears in an instant of this fire hitting her. Yeah, yeah. And and it seems to me that Vagar does not hold the hold the fire as long as she could. Like, mm-hmm. think about when Drogon held the fire on the Tarleys. It oh, was for, like, through, 20 Lancing seconds. through their lines, yeah. This was enough to kill her, and then, and then, and then she stopped. And, um... I mean, I, you know, it's, it's a powerful scene, uh, and I am glad they gave the dragon a little bit of agency there at the moment, because Vagar is the best dragon ever. Cut to Harwin. <laughs> even even to better than Valerian? Yeah, 100% better. I, I agree, actually. Yeah, go on. Cut to Harwin saying goodbye to the boys. He looks at Rhaenyra. Here's a line for you, Spencer. I will be a stranger when we meet again. Oh, uh, now I now I get stranger, it. Now stranger, I get it. in the faith now, of the seven. Now I get death. it. That is clever. So, for those who don't know, yep, in the faith yep. of the seven, which is the basically the governing religion of Westeros, the stranger is one of the seven gods, and it's the, the god of death. of death. Yes. So, him saying, "I will be a stranger when we meet again," could be interpreted as, "I will be dead when we meet again." Pretty emotional advice. His princess and nods and leaves. She is showing some emotion when he leaves. She's not happy about this. Emma it's Darcy necessary. Clearly, Emma Darcy is clearly playing Rhaenyra as a less emotive person mm-hmm. after this time jump, but there is some emotion that comes out there. Jacarys walks out to see him leave. She tries to make him feel better, saying, well, we'll exchange letters by Raven. Won't that be fun? And he says, look, is, is he my dad? Am I a bastard? And she says, you're a Targaryen. That's all that matters. All but admitting to Admitting him. to him, yeah. Uh, kisses his forehead and he goes inside and she stands there fuming. Anything on that scene you want? No, I think I think it's a powerful scene. I think it's a well done scene. I would have loved to have more scenes building up the relationship of the two, but what we got conveyed a lot through the quality of the acting and through the quality of the, set, of the setting of the scenes. Cut to Lenor and Carl uh, practicing sword fighting uh, and Rhaenyra comes out and he says to Rhaenyra, I take it he's gone. And Rhaenyra says, we're finished, we're leaving. She says she's been undermined, made a spectacle. They whisper about her. She's going to leave them to it. She's going to Dragonstone. She says she should have left years ago. He questions her position. How will it work if Allison is left to pour honey into Viserys' ear? And Rhaenyra says, the wise sailor flees the storm as it gathers. Mm-hmm. They share a bit of a chuckle and a laugh. And then 
both that line and this line that follows are an effort at reconciliation, apology, and making amends of where she she looks on at his new favorite and says, Leonard, bring him. We'll need every sword we can muster, which is a very much of, I understand what we are. I understand what, what, what has happened between us recently. Let's start fresh. Uh, cut to the Strongs going to Harrenhal, and uh, we see the guys whose tongues were cut out, uh, and they now have a sigil uh, that they are rocking, which we know now is Larry's personal sigil. It's a firefly. Mm-hmm. So very reminiscent of like the Mockingjay, uh, Mockingbird, that um, that Littlefinger had as his personal sigil. Um, cuts a Lionel waking up in the middle of the night. Why? Because of smoke. Oh, shit. And then he hears Harwin trying to get out, hold the door, hold the door, hold the door. And um, fire burns and uh, logs drop on his head. For those wondering, he's very dead. Both he and his dad are very, very dead. They're very dead. So the thing about Harrenhal is it's built with stone, right? But the stone is just the is just the the sort of like a base and uh, and sort of the outline of the building. Inside of it, there's a lot of wood the so that it can exist. Things like doorways, doors, beds, drawers, uh, everything's wood, right? So all that burns, but the stone around it doesn't, unless it's Valerian, which can melt stone. And that, that was the famous situation with the confrontation between Aegon the Conqueror and Heron the Black, of where, you know, Heron says, eh, stone doesn't burn, and Aegon just kind of shrugs and says, eh, by tomorrow your entire line will be dead. And then Valerian proves that by, again, burning everything that can and also melting stone. Yeah, and, and maybe Vagar could melt stone here. Uh, but obviously this fire just is the wood, but that's enough to kill them. And then we hear a voiceover. What are weakness? What are children but a weakness, a folly, a futility? Through them you imagine you cheat the great darkness of its victory. You will persist forever in some form or never, and another, as if they will keep you from the dust. But for them you surrender what you should not. You may know what is the right thing to be done, but love stays the hand. Love is a downfall. And I believe what he's saying here is uh, he is very willing um, to kill, obviously, uh, throw, uh, sacrifice anybody in his family, any of his, quote, loved ones for his future. And he thinks that it's a weakness that folks like you and I would not be willing to do that. And this is clearly basically how he started the conversation with Allison, who was there looking increasingly horrified at realizing what her man just did. We see Viserys kissing the ring of Emma Aaron. Which was a very touching he had with, him, with tears in his it. eyes. And he's kissing it because Rhaenyra's leaving. And that's their child. And he feels like he may never see her again. And he might not. Um, Rhaenyra leaving hurts him deeply, but he knows his wishes are not what matters anymore. He is the king, yes. But she's not going to stay for him because he's not long for this world. And that's got to be a really like terrible situation to be in as a person. When you know that you are so close to death and everyone knows it, that they're they're starting to plan for life without you in a way that doesn't even take into account your wishes anymore. That's going to be a tough spot to be in. This, they're not literally moving Viserys to an old folks home, but it's got a lot of those vibes. Cut to Larry's best to make your way through life unencumbered. Larry's is telling Allison what happened. And to her credit, fuck the hot towers, hate the hot towers, don't like the hot towers. She seems really upset about this. Like she seems kind of floored. However, Spencer, not upset enough to say, "Hey, guards, take him." Uh, I'm going to tell the king. I'm going to yeah. like do something about this. Yeah, I mean, 
again, it's all to her credit that she does look legitimately horrified. She never would request this, whatever else. But can you picture how, say, Ned Stark would have reacted if Littlefinger told him that he did this? Just like, he'd immediately have him arrested, put in jail. The the man who passes the Senate swing the sword. I think Yeah, he, he'd personally deliver the execution on he proper authority after a trial. Yeah. Um, she says, you pass judgment. And Larry says, potential line of the episode, Queen makes a wish. What servant of the realm would not strive to fulfill it? I love Larry. He is just wild as fuck, man. You don't know what this guy's going to do. Allison um, clearly doesn't. He says, well, you, you go ahead and write to Otto now. Basically, like, let's bring Otto back. Spencer, we going to get Otto back? What do you think? I think we're getting Otto back. Otto's coming back! Fuck that. He returns. Larry's, I feel certain you will reward me when the time is right. And that's the last <laughs> line of the episode. Recapped on, on, by the way, the longest per minute episode of the season. It, so it's the longest one we're going to get. It gave us a lot, and I think our biggest complaint is that we even wanted more. I loved it. Uh, you know, once I got past the fact that I was scared people weren't going to like it, when I could just judge it on my own merits, I mm. loved it. I, I thought the character acting was incredible. I thought the writing was really good. I thought a lot occurred. The plot moved like crazy. I think it's telling uh, that they're killing characters by fire. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's really, really mm-hmm. telling of where this story is going. Um, and I love that we got Vagar. So happy Lee over here. I'm very happy, Spencer. I I am as well. And my, again, my complaint is that I think that some that the time jump was the most jarring we've had yet. And I've said that a yes. few times now. And I agree. I, I think that the fact that certain events were being left to occur off camera in that ten year period is unfortunate. Um, and I fully understand people that did not like this episode as a result of that. I am not one of them. I adored this episode. I thought it was very much feeling like. And here's the first episode of the back half of this season, and a lot of what's going to come after that. And in that, I thought it was very successful. I agree. Do you want to supply me with lines for best line of the episode? I've got a few. So Okay. There's a lot of dialogue in this episode. There is. So I'll do some in broad strokes so I don't have to repeat ones you've already done. But the opening scene of Rhaenyra doing her walk out of just sheer stubborn determination not to show any Whew. weakness to Alison, her line about, you know, just to, I'll take him myself, but you should remain a bed, princess. Yes, I should. Help me dress. Powerful I will follow... Line. I will follow her into battle. Absolutely. Uh, Live Malison made the most brutal line in the episode. Do keep trying, Sir Leno. Sooner or late, you may get one that looks like you. What? Uh-huh. What a uh-huh. bad person. What a bad person. Uh, Allison to her son. She's you are the challenge. You are the challenge. You are the challenge, Aegon. Simply by living and breathing, you are the king's firstborn son. And what they know, what everyone in the realm knows, and their blood and their bones, is that one day you will be our king. Important line, just because it shows how much Otto Hightower's philosophy has become her own, and she's adopted a very much siege mentality for how she views the world. Which is so damn unfortunate, because it means she's always going to act as if there's going to be a war, and will never consider an alternative to that, because she's certain that this is necessary and will occur. Um, pretty much all of the dialogue between Lena and Damon, as she's basically trying to browbeat him into being the man that she actually fell in love with and knows that he's capable of, and live the life of excitement and, you know, doing things that she's dreamed for, but he is seemingly under rut with respect of. It's great dialogue, it's great scenes, I only wish we got more of the character, because I'm with you. The actress that got to play Lena, again, third actress? Fourth actress? What are we on now at this point? Third with Lena. Great, another great addition to the canon of the Lena characters. Uh, I, I love the line of people have eyes, boy, and everything that followed afterwards from Larry Ooh. Strong when he's confronting Ooh. his son. So Strong, good. I mean, 
yet his grace, it seems, will not accept what his eyes see. This flimsy shield alone stands between you and the headsman, the willful blindness of a father towards his child. And then uh, Harwin saying back, I wish my father affected a similar blindness. And Larry's, have I not these many years? Great exchange between the two. One of the last ones we have of them, sadly. Other than- I tell you, you're, you're, you know, I think, you know, there's no perfect character for Spencer in Westeros, but I think Lionel Strong is as close I to a person. to Lionel Strong levels of honor and dedication. I see a lot of, a lot of you in, in Lionel Strong. It's you, the closest I've seen. You've never said a nicer thing about me. I'm so touched. Uh, Funniest line, maybe the episode, uh, the Laner is written line when the, uh, Lena and Damon are recounting the letter that they received about the kid. Laner is written, Renier has delivered another son. Does your brother mention in this one, uh, she bears a marked, mention if this one also bears a marked but entirely coincidental resemblance to the commander of the city watch? It's hilarious. It's very funny. It shows the two of them have a great banter when they're not dealing with Damon's depression, inertia, fugue, whatever you want to say what he's currently going through. You said you had a theory on that, by the way. I'm curious. On on what? On why Damon is doing what he is with respect to, you know, almost copying Viserys' mannerisms. Oh, no. Um, no, oh, no. Sorry, my, I, my, I, I misheard you. No, no, no. My, my, I mean, it, it, this is a very obvious theory. But my theory was that um, a lot of what he was doing was trying to get away from Renera. Um, Fair. He... He obviously still cares and loves about her, or loves her, um, and he doesn't want to be around her, especially doesn't want to be around um, her when she's hooking up with with Harwin Strong, because he'd want to fucking kill Harwin Strong. So I don't think he wants to be in front of it, and mm-hmm. I think that's why he's trying to get to the other end of the world to get away from it. It's like, gotcha. when you don't get the girl you want, you certainly don't want to be anywhere near her. You don't want to see her every Tuesday with whoever she's with. Exactly. Uh Two sets of lines that just so well embody the characters' different mindsets and how far they've changed and evolved over the ten years. Rhaenyra's proposal to Alicent is great. It's a wonderful political move and very much shows awesome. how much more she's better how much more she's matured and better understands how the game is played compared to where she was. Shots and then Alicent's conversation with the king shows what darker and harder and more self interested a person she is now compared to where she was when we saw her ten years ago. Uh a few little cones in the episode that I liked, but the wise sailor flees the storm as it gathers. Uh, his That's honors, a good one. It is. His honor's always been a millstone around his esteemed neck, and truth has many flavors, your grace. Little, just nice little cones. I always like having those every now and then. Uh, Larry's speech at the end, both parts of it to Alicent, are just great. They are so just... I don't even know if it's delighting in the evil. He doesn't, I don't think he necessarily gives a shit about the evil. He's just utterly amoral, and we're realizing it for the first time. That's why he's so scary. Yeah. Because he's, uh, that's a great, great description. That's why you're the best podcast host. He is utterly amoral. Like, and so he, everything's on the table. He's not abjectly evil, I don't think, in the sense that he's going to be like, like, Gregor he's not the a Joffrey. Mountain, right? Cause like, yeah, the Joffrey or the Mountain were kind yeah. of predictable. He's he because he doesn't feed off of others' pain. He just doesn't give a fuck about their pain. Mm-hmm. You you absolutely have no idea where that guy's going. So I've given you a few, sir. Well, which of the ones I didn't mention wins the episode? You actually mentioned. Um, hey, first time for you me. mentioned the one that's going to win. You did not mention the one that wins. Honorable mention. Honorable mention this week. I do this sometimes when I really like a line. Viserys. 
Mm. To trust a Martell is to be disappointed. Yeah, fair. Honorable Th- that's a cone. Add that to the list of cones I mentioned earlier. But the best line of the episode, episode six, House of the Dragon, is the wise sailor flees the storm as it gathers. Why? I like it. Because it's a charged line between Rhaenyra and Lenor, and it also talks about how the plot is moving in this episode with Rhaenyra's dramatic move to Dragonstone, which is hugely important for the plot, as anyone would suspect. I'm with it. I think it's a good choice. Awesome. All right. So, Spencer. Uh uh This show jumped 10 years. Oh, yeah. Different actors. And three days. Different romantic partners for the Mm -hmm. main characters. Who were these people? Children just showing up. All of the names sound exactly the same. Yep. A lot of, a lot of blonde Jukeris, kids, a lot of Reina, Lena, Dana, Vena, like mm-hmm. all of this sh- like this show has given you every opportunity to dislike it. Yeah, yeah. Every, yeah. oh, also abject incest on screen just with a potentially underage girl. Like, yeah, let's just, let's just throw that on there. We're just going to yeah. watch that. No problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every reason to dislike the show. They are handicapping themselves in so many ways. Yeah. Did you, this week, hear one person say, I'm not watching that show anymore? Not a soul. Not a soul. Me neither. And guess what? The ratings were higher than it's ever been. So Game of Thrones, 100% back because you have a show that is doing everything it can on paper other than tell a bad story, which Martin's not capable of doing, obviously. They're doing everything they can to, like, sabotage the casual... (laughs) But the casuals are still locked in. I, I use my mother as an example, right? My mom is not going to read these books. She just likes a good show. You know what the 10-year time jump was for her? Mm. A little annoying. And yeah. guess what? She moved right the fuck on. Why? Because she's in Westeros and she loves it. And it's yeah. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones I, I, is bad. I was talking with my parents and I think they were less annoyed about the 10-year time jump than I was. It's like, yeah, that's what the show does. Now, going on to how, to how these politics are working, they had notes that they wanted to go into with respect to this. It's like, okay, shit, ca- casuals are in still. My mom watched it twice. Because the 10-year time jump kind of confused her, instead of saying, I'm done with the show, she said, going to have to watch it again. Going to have to do a second viewing. Yeah. That's how locked in people are into the show. It's the highest rated show on the planet. It's higher, it's higher rated than Andor, obviously. Higher rated than Rings of Power. It's higher rated than anything going on right now. It's the biggest cultural phenomenon we have. Game of Thrones, 100% back, and I could not be happier. Yeah, you know what's going to finally make me believe that Game of Thrones is really back? You know what's going to finally going to have to take for me? What? When a name from this show enters the top 100 baby names in the United States. That was when Game oh. of Thrones was at its peak. People, people. You don't know where this story is going. Don't do that. Please, it don't do that. It worked out so great with Daenerys don't, last time, for, didn't it? Uh, just Uncle Lee out here to the parents. No spoilers. No spoilers. Under no but. circumstance should you name your kid under any of these characters. Just don't. That's it. Just none of the characters. Don't name them after any of the characters. That would be a terrible, terrible idea. Okay. So now we're going to move on to the spoiler section. If you are not, if you you have not read the books, you are a sweet summer child, and you do not want to be spoiled, now is your time to bail, because Spencer and I are going to talk a little spoiler talk. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back with you at Sunday night for a review of Episode 7, our immediate recap of Episode 7, and we will see you then.
All right, so here's the deal, Spencer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting a Damon Renera sex scene next episode, right? Yeah, probably. How do you think the internet's going to take this? They're going to either... There's going to be like 40% that absolutely love it and 60% who are revolted, which is probably the number that it should be, really. Uh, uh, but here's my here's my bigger question to you. Are they going to go the route that Damon has something to do with Lenore's mysterious death? Or is it going to be just a lover's quarrel at a fair? Like, you know, it's kind of played it like in Fire and Blood. I don't know, particularly given that they explicitly showed us Damon killing his lady wife. That kind of sets up a certain degree of precedent of if anybody gets in his way, Damon has very few moral qualms about just simply eliminating them. It would seem to me that if I was Lenor, I'd want to stay away from Damon Targaryen right now. If I was Lenor, I wouldn't want Damon Targaryen to be anywhere near Dragonstone whatsoever. Damon, I mean, people I, he's just gonna die have around him. But in any case, we, we get Lenor's death next episode, and then we'll get um, Rhaenyra and uh, Rhaenyra and Damon hooking up, and then getting married and starting to have their children, which will be super exciting for everybody involved. Spencer, do you have any book to show changes you want to talk about from this past episode? Uh, a few quick ones and then a few longer ones. Quick one, number one, uh, double-checked, Darian Targaryen is the thing. It is Allison's youngest fourth and last child, and he yeah. totally would be around right now. I think you even noted that he was um, shared a, a nursemaid with uh, with Jaceris. Jaceris. Yeah, so it would seem to me, yeah, that's what the, I was struggling with it. Because I was trying to figure out the time. Yeah. I didn't want to like spoil it if that kid was coming. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that kid's coming. And also, I don't think Viserys is in a position to father a child anymore. So I think, I think you're right. I think they've they've cut. We finally have like a really significant character change book to show they've completely cut a character. And this could have legs too, because Darian's not the is the youngest, not necessarily the most interesting of the children. But he's still a dragon rider. He still rides Tessarian. He still fights in the Dance of Dragons. He's dies under very ambiguous circumstances in the Second Battle of Tumbledown. What of that is getting cut? Are we losing Tessarian? Are we losing aspects of his story that he contributes to? We don't know. This is our first real big notable character cut, and we're going to have to see what other degree this someone else steps in to fulfill for him, or that they cut other things around him that he's responsible for. Can't be clear at this point. I'm kind of thinking they might just cut, cut Tessarian, because they already mentioned before that they're not, we're not going to see all the dragons, other than apparently Cannibal. I'm so happy. Whoop. Yeah, I, I think they're going to cut Tessarian, and I think that, like, George R. R. Martin gave, let's be real, George R. R. Martin gave these people a lot of kids. Yeah. So that there could be a lot of battles and a lot of significant deaths in the Dance of Dragons. That's yes. why he gave them a lot of kids. We're going to get enough. And I think that, I think it's our, I think we have enough. And I don't think Daron does anything significant enough that the butterfly effect is that daunting. Um, so yeah, I think if you're going to cut somebody, this is the one to cut. Uh, another little small one. This just looked like a. It seemed like it was just a wink at the at, uh, book lovers. Lord Caswell that greets her in the hallway, that announces his loyalty to her, and she you know says you know I'll get back to you on ways that you can express that. Right. Lord Caswell is like Lord Beesbury in terms of he's one of the lords that was arrested after the Greens take King's Landing, or you know basically launch their coup and seize King's Landing. And he's notably one of the ones that refused to uh, renounce his loyalty to Princess Rhaenyra. And he died for it. They cut off his head and put his head on a pike outside the city walls. So th this felt like a bit of an early nod towards that, of where him announcing his loyalty and Rhaenyra telling him, we'll find a way later that you can express it. <laughs> they uh, are giving, I mean, and the rat stuff. I the mean, rat, the rat stuff, stuff is everywhere. Is it's, I mean, the, the rat with, 
You know what? With the series. They really should hire a rat catcher. I think they really could use a rat catcher inside of the Red Keep, don't you think? Tommen has it handled. Sir Pounce, just get some cats. They will handle the situation. Uh, again, after the rat catcher thing works out horribly here in the not-too-distant future, they then just start hiring cats, and that works out better. All right, so I have a question for you. I know I'm cutting you off here, but I have a quick, just a quick question for you. I think they're setting up blood and cheese to be like a red wedding type situation. Yes. They are clearly telegraphing it. They it's it's the big super shocking moment from the canon that they know they're building up to, and I think that's gonna be like a sort of break the internet type situation. I yeah, very much so. I very much agree. The, the constant uh, showing of rats in almost every scene has led an internet theory to start to get legs on the subject of is Laris a skin changer? Is La- is Laris somebody that can you know, uh, you know step into the minds of animals and command them and the little rats are his spies around the red keep? I don't believe this. I actually would prefer it's not true. Uh, and I think we, that we don't have any textual evidence for it. But the rats have been shown enough that people are starting to ponder that. Do we know of many... Well, yes, we do. But most skin changers are up north. Most skin changers are up north. Uh, now, How Strong does have blood of the first men in them, so they could have enough of a connection potentially there. And he seems to intentionally always draw people to the weirwood when he wants to have talks. But who knows? I, 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 I personally don't buy it. Uh, okay, that that sounds like an in deep geek video that I need. So uh, shout out YouTube guy in deep in deep geek. Make a YouTube video about that. I want to hear. Uh, it. Old Shift X did a little bit on it too. If you want to check check out there too, great for Game of Thrones content. If you haven't, if our fans haven't heard of him before, uh, other small one just to debate. Are they changing to what degree? Nah, just skip that. Let's go. Let's go. Actually, in the meat. We talked about the death of Lena. You you are a diligent scholar of the books. How does Lena die in the books? From, from so your in memory. the books, Lena has the child. The child does come out. It's a malformed, it's a male, it's a malformed, twisted male that actually has dragon scales and stuff, they say. Very along the but lines of way, Danny's first kid. Yep, but, but it dies within the hour. It doesn't survive an hour after birth. And Lena is bleeding out and dying from the, from the pregnancy and the birth. And so she gets up and she wants to ride Vagar one more time which is just breaks my heart. And she dies in the hallway on the way. So she never actually makes it to Vagar. So this whole thing of she gets to Vagar with the child still in her, Vagar torches her, all of that is added in the show. It's all new. And I leave, I leave it to you. I'm curious of your thoughts. Which version do you prefer? Because it's a notable, very intentional difference from book to show. So I like that they gave the dragon some agency, but I would like to reiterate to everyone Dragons are dragons. Mm-hmm. Vagar is not team black or team green or team anything. Vagar it's is team dragon. his rider. It's Her a, rider. It's a dragon. Yeah. And they bond to one person at a time. And that bond is extremely important to that dragon. That's why Vagar was off somewhere singing a sad song. You know why it was singing a sad song? It wasn't because it missed Balerion. It was because it missed Visenya. It missed its rider. Yeah. Like, that's... The bond between dragon and dragon rider is extremely important to the dragon, more so than the dragon rider. And the idea that Vagar, of all of it, all dragons, would actually torch its rider, I do not really accept that on canon basis. I, I understand it made for a... I think people appreciated it in the show. It made for an extremely dramatic moment, and it ultimately doesn't really change much. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't really accept that, the, that, that Vagar would ever do that, and I think it's a change that's not... Uh, not accepted. Now, another thing I want to point out in this is a lot of people talk, have asked the question, well, 
she's got Targaryen blood in her. She's Rainey's child. Oh, God. This changed by the aren't show. Tar- yeah. aren't, aren't Targaryens, you know, immune to fire? No. The answer to that is no. No Targaryen, Danny included in the books, is immune to fire. Her walking into the fire with the eggs on Khal Drogo's funeral pyre was a one-time magical event, and that was a one-off situation. Her being immune to fire was a show-added thing, and I think in show canon what we're going to establish is that Danny was an exceptional Targaryen in that regard. None of the other Targaryens are immune to fire. Trust me, folks, they can't be, because of the Big number of them get burned up in the Dance of Dragons. Right. Now, it's fair to say Danny herself at times thinks that she's kind of immune to fire. And, but Danny has a very limited understanding of Targaryens, and Danny herself later learns that, oh yeah, she can totally get burned and suffer very bad blisters and burns from dragon fire. So. Which she got with Drogon, the first interaction she had with trying to drive, yeah. trying, trying to, uh, ride him. The show took what was very much meant to be a one-off bit of blood magic, elder magic, weird combination of things from even burning a very powerful witch at the same time all this is happening, and made it a character trait. And that also led to some of the worst scenes I thought in the show, or rough scenes in the show. So, just Some lazy writing. Some lazy, some, writing, some lazy to writing to fix problems. Whenever you give a character a superpower, it can become lazy. But... Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. I also really agree with you that dragons are mostly bonded with the riders to the point that dragons that are close with each other are a notable exception that they write stories about. Like the fact that Vermithor and Silverwing are cuddly, people write stories in in universe on how interesting that is. It's very, it's pretty rare. I mean, Aegon's three dragons all got along, but they weren't. They are they're close to their dragon writer, not necessarily. They they get they can have familiarity. And some like a general positive disposition towards some other dragons, but their true love is for their dragon rider. That's yeah. why they do their bidding and command, and, and in some cases, actually seem to know what they think. Yeah, it's important to note that Targaryen dragons in particular, maybe the wild dragons are an exception. We can debate those later. We see my theory about cannibal, but haha. Uh, but Targaryen dragons... And we'll get to do it when the dragon seeds come yeah. up in that, like season two, so that'll be fun. But Targaryen dragons in particular are not natural animals. No one says they are. No one claims they are. They are, at a minimum, heavily domesticated manipulated animals, if not straight-up created by magic. Important detail to remember about them. But... We think they were created by magic in Valeria. They did, They weren't, like, naturally occurring anywhere. They, they may, or may have been a species that existed before. Like, they even talk about certain species of, like, you know, subterranean lizard fire thing that existed there. They may have manipulated and expanded up, or they just wholesale created them. Who can say? But they didn't just... Current dragons did not exist, as best as we can tell. At least not particularly the Targaryen ones. But, Helena Targaryen. Let's talk about the big, a big interesting change Woo! this episode. Uh, so we talked oh about... Oh my god, this is my favorite thing they've added, by the way. So we talked about, you know, the fact that they appear to have made her autistic, which is an interesting change, which is going to make this poor character all the more ridiculously tragic and painful at every step oh of the game. Oh my god, blood and cheese is going to be so hard to watch. We're just married her to her way. brother. Dear god, is he an asshole. <laughs> Uh, she so they, this girl who by the way comes off pretty sympathetic in the scene. They're gonna marry her to the fucking Aegon, who's the worst, and then have blood and cheese happen to her, and then she jumps out of a window. Jesus Christ! What a story she's gonna be on. But before then, they have given her the, the Targaryen prophecy. It appears because the two things she says are lighting the fan base on fire in terms of interpreting what they can mean. Um, as said, first thing is. Uh, her brother says, they said they found a dragon for me, and she responds, the last ring has no legs at all. This has at least three possible meanings, from my view. One, the most literal interpretation, she's talking about the centipede in front of her. 
Sure. That is literally what she's doing, but it's not the real, not potential, you know, legs on this, if you were. Interpretation number two, the one you mentioned, that she's talking about Bran. Notably, Bran, uh, Bran the Broken, notably loses his legs, episode one, season one, Game of Thrones, in terms of use of them, ends up as the last king that we see in the overarching series. Very possible. And let me be clear about, let me be clear about something to people. Bran will be king in the books. Sure. I know that a lot of that got rushed in the show, and a lot of people felt like it was a weird landing spot. It didn't make any sense, but there is tons of foreshadowing for it in the books, and it is something that George specifically told D and D will happen. So you're getting that. So if they they continue building toward that in the lore via this show, I'm not surprised. Watch George R. R. Martin change that based on fan reaction. I bet you money. That he, that's when he's seriously considering changing just because of how much people didn't like it. And unfairly. Let's, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll bet all the Bitcoin you want to bet because that's happening. Doge. I, I'm a poor attorney. I can only, only bet that. Um, oh, yeah. He's really poor. So my, my personal one that I'm betting, though, she's talking about Aegon. Because Aegon, before this war is done, the last ring of their family line is going to have both of his legs crippled as he falls from Dragonback and basically has to be carried around in a litter for the last of his kingship as Aegon II. So that, that's that's a third possibility, I think, and it's the one I prefer in terms of interpreting her prophecy there. Yeah, because Daron dies, Helena dies, and Aemon dies all before Aegon. Yep, and he's the last ring, effectively, of their family line. Other than his mother. Could be, could be, could, could be. That's a good one. Uh, and the second thing she says, this one's, I think, the much little, e- little easier, yeah, much easier to interpret is, uh, you will have a dragon one day. You'll have to to close an eye. Amon one eye. Is this is the obvious interpretation of what this is? Yeah, that's because he loses an eye in a duel with, one of, with who? Was it Luceres? It, it was one of Rhaenyra's kids. I don't remember which one. Probably. I think it's Luceres because Luceres is the one, right, that gets. That gets killed uh, at Storm's End. Uh, gets murdered while on Dragonback when they're trying to negotiate the early stages of the war. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's a way to put it. Yeah, that's probably more accurate. Killed. <laughs> gets gets murdered by fucking Vagar. Yes. <laughs> like a lot of people are going to get. Yeah. That, by the way, there, there's an interesting addition for our fans. Uh, yeah. And I cannot wait. To, I cannot wait to defend Vagar. Like all these people are going to get mad that Vagar allows Aemon to ride him. Like. Vagar is a fucking dragon. How? And Vagar wants a rider. It's lonely. And Amon is a spunky, excitable kid. And Vagar's like, fuck yeah, let's go on an adventure. How I'm bored. sad are you personally going to be when Caraxes, Vagar, Amon, and Damon do their battle over the god's eye? That'll probably be the more that like that that'll be the most touching moment for me of the whole series to see that play out because it's four of my favorite characters. Um, as far as just my interest in them, all going in dragon. one stroke. Yeah, they're they're the four probably the most interesting during the course of the entire dance. I think for most people it'll be when Renera dies. That'll be the the real the real psychological hit. But for me, it'll be that battle for sure. Well, sir, in terms of book to show changes, we are the only other major one you mentioned was the change to Viserys's temperament. I think they've painted themselves in a corner with that. Where I can't picture this Viserys at this stage of his life showing any necessary amount of fire and will that it would take to make the mark remarks that he does in the books can we do a quick prediction i just got a couple questions for you on predictions please and we'll, we'll wrap up uh one when does Viserys die uh episode nine i think is the ca- is the green council right 
Yep. I think he dies early stages of that episode. Either dies late, late stages of the episode before that or early stages of that episode. I would agree. Uh, second, uh, when do we get the marriage between Renera and Damon? Not this episode, but next. I think this episode goes into the tension of Damon getting back in her life and what that's going to mean. And then next episode after that is them crystallizing her position, her rule, and the, all the Greens' opinions about now Damon's back, now Damon's ruling the family. We absolutely can't trust them. Setting up the death of the king and setting up the Green Council after that. All right, so just so you know, the next episode is going to take case over take place over 24 hours. Interesting. Wow. Yes. I don't know what that's going to bring. Yeah, the, so I don't think we'll get the marriage then either. And these are the two episodes that are named after seemingly Valerian things, right? Of Valerian things, right? Um, Correct. Which yep. we'll have to see what those bring. Driftmark and Lord of the Tides, I think, are the next two. Gotcha. Super exciting. Okay, thanks everybody for listening and hanging in there with us for the spoiler episode. Spoiler discussion here on episode six of House of the Dragon. We'll be back with you on Sunday, 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 Sunday at 10 p.m. Um, we'll start recording and we'll get the podcast out as soon as we can after that for a recap and our thoughts, immediate thoughts on episode seven. And then we will later in the week give you the full breakdown of episode seven. If you enjoy what you're listening to, if you like listening to us, Gab, I would guess you do. If you've hung in there this long, type in Mangum Talks to any podcast provider that you have, and all of our podcasts will pop up. You know, we do more than just talk Game of Thrones. We do a lot of different stuff in the Mangum Talks podcast channel. Check it all out. Thanks again for listening. We will see you on Sunday.